Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's up, Knight fans? Sons of UCF is proudly presented by the law firm of Gordon & Partners. Since 1993, Gordon & Partners have been dedicated to the pursuit of justice for those who have been wrongfully injured at no fault of their own. It's important that you get legal advice from somebody you trust, so contact UCF alum Michael Hoffman directly if you have any legal needs or questions. Visit their website, fortheinjured.com, or text 407-913-5350 to talk to Michael directly. Don't just trust anybody. Trust the best. And trust a knight. Gordon and Partners. For the Injured. This is the Sons of UCF. The number one place for UCF sports with your distinguished host, Adam. Let's all get together and see who can solve the wordle the fastest. And Mike. You know, last year I think I said about 30 people in the UCF, some of the UCF group. Let's try to double that. Let's try to get 50. Now, here are the guys. All right, welcome back, Sons of UCF, episode number 191. We are brought to you by Gordon and Partners. My name is Adam, and as always, one and only, Mr. UCF Mike is back again. Michael, greetings, my friend. How are you? Doing great, man. Uh, we're doing this video thing again here. I can see you. I, I like it. I, as you can see, I got a nice little setup here. I got a microphone. I'm, I've got a, a, a computer that I can actually look at, a, a, video, a video camera. So it's a whole new setup. Not promising that the internet's going to be perfect, but um, deal with it here for a week, and then we'll try to get this thing as professional as possible going forward here uh, i mean it's been it's been four years we've been trying to make this thing professional we still haven't quite figured that out so everybody temper your expectations mike but we have a fun show for everybody tonight uh what's on tap that's brought to you by the way mike by our new sponsor uh, poor choice drew balani and, and, the, and the gang down there uh poor choice uh located at the mills 50 district so they bring us what's on tap more about what's going on with us and poor choice here in a little bit mike but what's on tap we got cal of the week as always we've got a great interview with mike osuna that may not be a name that rings a bell to you, but he's got a really interesting story. Uh, and uh, one of these guys, Mike, he was a walk-on, so he's got kind of the inner the inner workings, kind of the nitty-gritty stories. I uh, really enjoy those. We'll get into some guilty, not guilty as well. But, of course, Mike, we've got to start with football practice. And uh, as you know, we are getting closer and closer to the season, Mike. Uh, a whole week of practice and a scrimmage has been done. All we've seen now are snippets of video. All we've heard are, are – some rather cliched answers at the at the podium from Gus and some players. So one week into practice, Mike, what do you know? <laughs> I know about as little as possible, I, I guess. We've seen the quarterbacks now throw a, a handful of passes each. A couple of like handful. Is it really a handful? What defines a handful? 
I mean, I could fit in my hand <laughs> three. Okay. Four. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, we've seen a couple of nice ones. We've seen some highlights. We've seen Javon Baker make a couple of nice catches. We've seen the defense make a couple of nice plays. Um, not really much after that. We've seen the guys getting break us down before we start here. One, two, three, family on me. We've seen that a bunch of times. But uh, <laughs> football-wise, we haven't seen too much. I, I mean, when I say we, I'm talking about the general UCF public. Me and you have seen the drone footage from the scrimmage. We're not allowed to reveal exactly what we saw in that. Right, so. Right. Um, for the UCF fan, not much to go on yet. We do have the scrimmage under our belt, and nobody really has revealed exactly what happened that day either. But there are nuggets of info available, I think, if people really want to put some dots together. Again, you got to really connect some dots here. But let's start with this, Mike, the scrimmage. It was pretty transparent. Gus said it. The player said it. It was reported pretty heavily. The defense dominated the offense. Gus looked visibly pissed that the the offense didn't get his stuff going. You know, again, he was quick to, you know, give give some hat tips to the defense there, but it sounds like it was just a thorough ass kicking by the defense over the offense in that scrimmage. And you were one on Twitter while a lot of people were losing their minds and saying, "Oh my goodness, this is this is doom and gloom." Well, no, we suck again. What are we going to do? You you took a different spin on it after you had a chance to kind of think through sort of the quote-unquote dominating defensive performance. Going back in years past, and maybe this was just because it was the George O'Leary teams, but it, anytime you have a championship team, I think it's always the defense early on in camp is what's successful. I, I loved hearing that the defense shut them down. The defense is what's going to win championships. I, I know the offense is what put butts in the seat. Everybody goes crazy. We want to see 40 points. We want to see touchdowns all over the place. But if our defense is the one giving that up every week in practice and we can't even stop our own guys – that are not even in midseason form. I think that's a that would have been a bigger issue. So I, I'm glad that the defense did their thing the other day in the scrimmage. Um, now we don't know exactly what happened with the offense. It, it could be that the offense could be one guy missing assignment blew up the whole play. So I, I think there's plenty of time to get that fixed up. But I, I like that the that the defense is doing what they're doing so far. I think that's a good sign for the team. And historically speaking, Mike, in, in these first couple of practices, scrimmages, the defenses typically have the advantage, right? They, they know what the offense is running. Really, they kind of understand the scheme. I don't think it's, it's too, you know, too out of the ordinary to say the defense would be ahead of the offense at this point. Now, I, will say, I was taken back by how annoyed Gus looked with it. And then we saw some of those video clips today, Mike. I know there was like 35 seconds worth of video. You saw at least one interception. You saw a couple of passes that were broken up. You saw one that probably could have been an interception. Uh, you saw Amari Johnson sort of catch the ball on the ground. And so you can kind of see just from that little snippet how much the defense dominated. So it, I guess from this point, it shouldn't be surprising, right? I mean, the defense should be ahead of the offense. Now, scrimmage two coming up, I think what Gus said was interesting is the QBs may be live. He hadn't decided yet. They were not live in scrimmage one. Maybe they're live in scrimmage two. Maybe that impacts things a little differently. I don't know. But I don't, I don't think it's a huge alarm to say that the defense is a little bit ahead of the offense right now. No. Now, if in scrimmage two, the offense doesn't make any strides forward, maybe you could start getting a little nervous here, right? But I think it's fine for scrimmage one. Remember, they only had, what, four days of practice leading up to that? Three, four days. So um, it's expected that the offense is not really going to be rolling yet. Another week, another. And remember, Gus said he wanted to kind of know who the starting quarterback was going to be after that second scrimmage. We got another week here of practice. I think he's going to tighten the screws up a little bit on offense, You know, get get things a little more you know, buttoned up here. And, and how much is he using guys like Bowser, really, in these scrimmages? Yeah. I mean, that, you can't really consider that your full offense if you're not using all your weapons like that. So 
let, let's see what happens here in this next week, and let's see if he really sticks to his word about this announcing well, – not announcing, but knowing who his quarterback is going to be after two scrimmages. Yeah, where where are you at in your mind right now? You've seen again. We've all we've seen is probably a total of thirty two seconds worth of video between Mikey and and JRP. Sometimes they don't even show you who threw the ball. We've seen a bunch of great catches. Uh, Javon Baker had a great catch. You think he was out of bounds? He may have been in bounds. Who knows? There's another one where he kind of mossed a DB and had a good had a good catch. I think that was Mikey Keene who threw that one. We haven't seen a lot of who's throwing the ball in the thirty two seconds total that you've seen. Where are you at right now in the QB battle? Who's who's got who's got QB one locked up according to UCF Mike? You really have to like. <laughs> I've seen these videos and I have to slow motion them. Pause it, take a screenshot to even know who the quarterback was. I think they're, by design, trying to put these videos out without showing who the quarterback is. And the one I took a screenshot of today, it was uh, John Rice Plumley, but he was off in the distance, and you could barely tell it was him. Um, so it's hard to tell. It's really hard to tell. You've seen the other video that was out today. It was Mikey Keene handing the ball off. I don't think I saw any passes coming from him. I, I don't know what he did during practice, honestly. Obviously not too much if the offense wasn't scoring much. We saw the one beautiful pass that he threw the other day where um, where Javon Baker made a nice catch. Uh, that That's the one thing. I've seen Baker a lot, right? You've yes. seen him yeah. all over the place. Yeah. I haven't seen Ryan O'Keefe anywhere. Are we just not doing Ryan O'Keefe highlights? Are we, I haven't seen, like I mentioned, Bowser. I haven't seen any Bowser highlights. I'm sure those guys are going to be fine once the season comes. So uh, the, the whole releasing of these videos – it's got to be strategic on the UCF video part, and and maybe they're just playing around with us at this point. Well, I mean, you got to think a guy like O'Keefe, a guy like Bowser, they they kind of know their role, right? I mean, I, I don't, I don't. Do you really need to see you know Ryan O'Keefe take that two yard slant again like he did every every year? Do you need to see Bowser run a you know run the play? You got to wonder if Gus and the offensive staff and the defensive staff aren't trying some of the younger guys, some of the maybe the less experienced guys, the new guys to see how they fit in. So I, I don't know that's surprising. You don't see Ryan or, or Bowser, but to your point, if they're not playing. Is that really a full representation of the offense? Then to say the defense beat the offense, probably not fair, Mike. Here's my hot take. I have a, I have a hot take prepared for this. My, my hot take is this. This is John Rice Plumley's job to lose. And I think the fact that Gus hasn't announced anything yet, it's been really tight-lipped. My suspicion is that Gus wants JRP to win this job and is giving him every opportunity to try to win this job. But for some reason, either A, he's not performing or Mikey's performing really, really well. I think Gus really wants JRP to be that guy. I think the... I, I think the annoyance is because no one has really stepped up and taken those reins yet. And, you know, it, it, it may not work out the way that Gus wants. But I think this is John Rice's job to lose. And I'm not sure he's not already losing it right now. I'm not sure Mikey Keene isn't, uh, isn't kind of keeping it by default at this point. You know, a lot of people have said, you know, he didn't come in here to be a backup. He came in here to be the starter. Gus probably bar- brought him in to be the starter. But has he really taken control of that job yet? Doesn't seem like it. I, if he'd been throwing passes, throwing touchdowns all over the all over the practice field, I have a feeling we'd see those videos, right? They yes. they put that out there for us, and the fact that they haven't kind of gets you a little worried about what, what he's been doing throwing the ball. Now we know he's talented, we know he can run the ball, but this offense needs somebody that's going to be able to complete a ten yard pass, and this is kind of where we went with Wimbush when he was coming in. Same. Oh no. <laughs> The, the W word. Oh, Mike. Are we doing this again? Is this is this Winbush 2.0? Uh, five days into camp, uh, the reviews that we're hearing, possibly. Uh, mm. I mean, 
Plumley and go back and look at those highlight videos of Plumley when he was at Ole Miss, and he's running for those sixty-five yard touchdowns. They're down thirty-five nothing in every one of those highlights, and finally he scores a touchdown. So you want to be you got to be able to throw the ball, and it doesn't mean you have to throw bombs. You don't have to throw sixty-yard touchdowns like Dylan Gabriel. You need to just move the chains, ten-yard pass here and there, maybe a little twenty-yard pass every once in a while. But somebody that's going to take care of the ball and keep the, the the weapons on this team moving the ball downfield. And if Plumlee can't do that, then I think you know he's going to have no choice but to go back to Mikey Keene. Well, I think again, I think Gus is probably enamored with the the athletic tools that John Rice Plumlee brings to the table because that's kind of what Gus's offense has been about, right? But I think if he can't get some of these consistent quarterback plays down, I think that's where Gus is probably going to put himself in a tight spot. And, you know, I'm not saying Mikey Keene's not winning this job, by the way. So I don't want to make it seem like, hey, you know, we're just going to give it to Mikey Keene because we can't give it to Plumlee. But I think the longer things play out, I think advantage Keene. Right. I think advantage keen, the longer this goes on, the longer we're not sure, the longer, you know, we're, we're not announcing anything. I think that that leans advantage Mikey Keen uh, over advantage John Rice Plumley. I feel like if Plumley had a bang up week, was running this offense crisp, was making all the throws, whatever those were, completing passes, you know, managing the offense, I think you'd be hearing more and more of that. I think the longer this drags out, advantage Mikey Keen QB1. Right. And just remember the week one. Whoever starts week one doesn't mean they're starting week two. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it'd be easier to come in with Mikey Keene to start week one, and then you bring Plumley in, and he can do the things with his legs and all that stuff, not have the, all the pressure of coming in on that first drive of the season and having to throw the ball a couple times. Uh, and I think that's easier to do than bringing Plumley in to start and then Mikey Keene in relief. So we, we may see it that way. Um, but Gus is just waiting for one of these guys to take control. And he said it how many times by the second week, pretty much the whole team knows who the quarterback should be. And it sounds like after week one, nobody really knows. So <laughs> let's yeah. see what happens this next week. Well, it's interesting if you, if you're listening to, um, some of the press conferences too, I think the only fun thing we get is you get nuggets of information on names of people who are playing well, you know, who does Gus name drop, who are the players name drop, uh, your, uh, Jeremiah John Baptiste was at the podium after the scrimmage and, uh, was asked about a bunch of different players. He pretty much loved all of them. Uh, so I don't think he gave much away from that standpoint. Uh, Jason Johnson, a linebacker, he called out specifically, he called a couple of the young guys in the secondary Nakai Martinez, who we saw a lot of highlights, um, that, that came out today. He, he called him out as well. Um, so you are hearing some names kind of leak out here and there, but you're also seeing some videos, Mike, you mentioned Javon Baker. I mean, his, his tape keeps showing up everywhere from a UCF standpoint. This kid looks like he's making a lot of plays out there. That, that's got to get UCF fans really excited when you see some of these snippets of guys who are really, really looking like they could be uh, a formidable force or at least play a role and contribute this year. UCF fans are going to lose their mind this year on the broadcast when they hear Alabama transfer, Javon Baker. It's going to happen after every every catch he makes. Same thing with Kobe Hudson, you know, Auburn transfer. That I, I don't. To me, I don't care as long as these guys are scoring touchdowns. But it's nice to see. It's nice to see him come in and, and take that role. And you know, to be honest, a couple weeks ago, I didn't even think about Javon Baker. You know, it was yeah. Ryan O'Keefe was receiver one, and you know, Kobe Hudson. Everybody was talking about, and then you talk about the running game. All of a sudden, we got this guy that looks like he's going to be a, a playmaker for us. And that just adds another weapon to these quarterbacks that it's almost impossible not to be able to move the ball with all these other guys you have. You just can't turn it over. 
So, Mike, this is breaking news. I'm actually looking at this on Twitter while you and I were talking. Gus Malzahn just tweeted a photograph. And it's enjoyed having the 2022 leadership group over the house tonight. It's a picture of him and his wife, Christy, with a bunch of uh, the leadership group, which is which is players. Mike, let me, let, me, let me give you the names of the players in this photograph. Okay, you ready? Here we go. We got Isaiah Bowser. I think this is Josh Stelliscar next to him. Jeremiah John Baptiste. We got Ryan O'Keefe. We got Sam Jackson. We got Alex Ward. We got Alec Holler. We got uh, Lokai Palue. We got Mikey Keene. And John Rice Plumley. They're both in the photograph, Mike. For a moment, <laughs> I, was gonna, I was thinking neither one. And I was, then I was going to get a little worried. It's a little weird to have two quarterbacks, though, right? Um, he, <laughs> he's still playing around with this. I, and he's still having a little fun with the, the fans. It's interesting. Are these the captains of the team? Because it, the, the, it says the leadership group over the house. So I assume it's kind of like that leadership council coach always has a couple of key guys who you kind of talk to. I think I heard rumors. I'm not sure if I'll, how much uh, how much is published, but I think I've heard rumors and uh, and press conference droppings. I think I heard Selleskar was named a captain. I think I heard O'Keefe was named a captain. Sam Jackson's been a captain since like 1996. So I assume he's still a captain at this point. Alex Ward, I think, has been a captain for the last 35 years. So I think he's probably still a captain so um i think alec holler i heard was voted a captain too so i think we got like 92 captains on the team all right and you know the coaches always depend on this leadership council leadership group whatever you want to call it or larry had it back in the day tom coughlin had it with the giants it's just you know you got to have that core of players that are able to communicate with the rest of the team and still be able to go to the coaches and tell them hey you know this is what's going on with the other guys and and it's good to have communication that way it's still a little weird to have two quarterbacks. <laughs> you would think one guy would step up over the other, and he'd be. But I guess he'd he'd be showing his cards if there was only one of them, and he'd be putting a picture out like that. So, well, yeah. So, do you think it's simply that? Is this a Gus smokescreen? Is this a, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to lead someone to think something, so I'm gonna have them both over here. Yeah, <laughs> pretty enough. much. Yeah. Pretty much. It. I mean, if he had only one of those two guys in the picture what's everybody going to say tomorrow morning when they see this? So I think he has to have, if he's going to have one, he has to have both. He could have gone the route of having neither, which also would have been concerning. I think because you'd like to your quarterback to be one of those leaders on the team. One of those guys that can go to the coach and, and to the players and be that conduit in between both of them. But to have both is a little weird. Uh, and, and you guess that this is both for the whole season. This is not just like a preseason thing. These seem to be, the leaders of the team for here all the way throughout the whole season. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, to your point, if you, you're not going to kick a guy off, right? Hey, Plumley, sorry, buddy. <laughs> you're off the council. You're QB too. Or, or does this mean they're both going to play, right? They're both going to play. They're both going to have a role in the offense. They're both going to be an integral part of what they do. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to lose Mikey Keene uh, because, you know, he obviously has a transfer opportunity in front of him. Plumlee does not at this point, or I guess he does, but he's got a you know penalty around that too. So, you know, it could be just more gamesmanship by Gus also trying to manage the situation uh, between the two of them. Cause that's gotta be awkward, right. For the, these two guys, you know, kind of battle it out. Yeah. I wonder what they were thinking when they heard both of them were going to show up there. I, you, you think, think they didn't know? Like King gets there, he's like, ah, sweet. Like, and then walks in the door, <laughs> and there's Plumlee. He's like, damn it. <laughs> you think they're, they're both mad? The other guy's there? I, I imagine they were both told at the same time, I would think. Otherwise, that would be a little weird if, if one of them shows up or one of them gets to go into coach's office and say, hey, you know, I want you to be one of the leaders on this team. You're on the leadership council. 
and then doesn't know that the other guy's going to be there until they're actually at the house. I, I think that'd be a little weird. <laughs> you're gonna see Plumley like circle on the block, and he's like, "Is that Keen's car? Son of a bitch!" Like, <laughs> driving away, and you know, trying to figure that out. I'm like, either way, it's fun fodder for all of us, right? I mean, uh, it gives us something to talk about. You know, the the, the QB battles in UCF history are have, have been interesting uh, over a period of time. Obviously, a lot of them, most of them, under George O'Leary. So we'll see how this one shakes out. Uh, but it's definitely fun to to break down the film. But here's my hot take. My hot take is of today. The longer this goes. The more it favors Mikey Keen. That is a, that is my hot take, Mike. But I can tell you that neither Mikey Keen nor John Rice Pumley made the AAC first, second, third, or honorable mention teams, Mike. This is the first team uh, all AA, all AAC. Here are the UCF guys. Tell me who the notable admission is on this list. I think already know it already, right? <laughs> Ryan O'Keefe, welcome on to the team. Uh, Lokai Palue, welcome to the team. Quadric Bullard. And then two cornerbacks, Devontae Brown and Corey Thornton, Mike. So... Three guys in the secondary, O'Keefe and uh, and Palue. Uh, who's not on that list, Mike? That should be. I mean, the obvious one that I think that everybody expects to be the MVP of this team, and probably was the best player when healthy last year was Isaiah Bowser. And yeah, he's not on the first team. And go ahead, you want me to spoil what's gonna you're gonna go over the second team? Too? Oh, second team. We we'll go second team. Like here we go, second team. We got Kobe Hudson, transfer receiver. Kamora Gamble, transfer tight end. Matt Lee, who all world center, I think for us, and Devad Wilson in the back end. Oh, and who's this? Johnny Richardson makes the uh, the all AAC second team. And listen. Johnny had a great year last year. I think he ended up leading the team in rushing yards at the end of the year, right? So he certainly played really well. Um, he was a great fill-in for Bowser. He definitely kept the running game alive, Mike, but um, no Bowser second team. Johnny Richardson gets it. Yeah, the guys that made this list or the guys that voted on this probably just went over stats from last year, right? And they say, hey, Johnny Richardson was the leading rusher on this team last year. Not really watching all the games and knowing the story. I mean, maybe they know Bowser was hurt. But not really seeing when Bowser was there and he was in the games, he's getting the ball 35 times. He's the bell cow running back. Johnny, as much as I love him, is a nice compliment to Bowser. But uh, Bowser is running back number one. Uh, Richardson's number two. But somehow Richardson makes it over him in, in this preseason list, which is probably just one of these other stupid lists that I don't like. I assume Trace has a vote in this would be my guess as well. Like <laughs> third team, we have a third teamer. Once Sam Jackson has made the third team, Mike, and then two honorable mentions, Keenan Hester and Tremont Morris Brash. That is your all AAC teams, first, second, third team. Again, UCF really well represented. The only thing I can think of with Bowser is they're assuming he's not going to get that many touches because UCF is going to keep him kind of fresh and maybe he won't only get 5, 10, 15 carries a game or something like that. And that's why they're keeping him off. Or to your point, um, and I don't even know who votes in this. I assume it's writers, coaches, somewhere in between all that stuff. They just yeah, they hit their head or they went stat running at that point. I have no idea how they came up with this list. So are there two running backs first team, two running backs second team, two running backs third team, or they have just one running back for the conference in each of those teams? Uh, you know, I don't. It's a great question. It's a great question. I do not know off the top of my head. I can I can effort that. Um, I would think uh, there's while, two while we talk here. I would think there's so two. too. So that would mean that they don't even consider Bowser to be a top six running back in this conference, which is pretty much absurd, right? Especially if you're saying Johnny is in the top four, I guess, and um, no, no Bowser. That that's a little weird. Unless so this just- okay. All right, here's the research. This is uh, this is Pro Football Focus. They're all AAC team. They do have two running backs first team. One uh, Tajay Spears from Tulane and Alton McCaskill from Houston. 
All right. I mean, uh, Spears, I know. I don't know much about McCaskill. Um, who do they have? Number one quarterback. They have Toon from Houston, too? Clayton Toon, your first team quarterback. So we've been bashing Houston a lot on this show recently. Uh, we don't give them enough credit because we say that, we, that they just have a, an easy, soft schedule. But they have, according to Pro Football Focus, the number one quarterback and the number one running back. Uh, and the number one be- receiver. Nathaniel Tank Dell is uh, is the other receiver, along with Ryan O'Keefe and some guy from the Cows. The Cows have three guys in this list somehow. <laughs> but this goes back to what I was saying at the start of the show. If it does come down to us and Houston in this championship game, what is going to make the difference in that game? They have the best quarterback, the best running back, the best receiver. We need that championship defense. We need the defense to be the strong point of this team. So that's another reason I'm happy to see that the defense and – Look at all the guys in the secondary on our team, on these preseason teams. I think that's going to be good for us going down the long road. Well, they also have the best defensive lineman, the best edge rusher, and the best linebacker. They have three guys on the first team defense as well. Obviously, we have three guys all in the secondary. They have three guys all uh, all up front, Mike. Well, um, maybe we have a soft schedule not playing Houston. <laughs> <It turned laughs> you want to guess the second team all AAC quarterback? Ooh, don't talk, it's not Holt Nailers, right? It is Can't, not Holt Nailers, no. Right. It's not well, obviously we don't even know who the quarterback is at Cincinnati. It's not a, either of our guys. Um th- please tell me it's not Jerry Bohannon over at uh, South Florida. It is it is not, no. Okay. What schools do we have left? Tanner Mordecai, um, SMU. Okay. Your second right, I can team. See that. Yeah, your mm-hmm. second team. Third team quarterback? He, what other teams have we, uh, Memphis, who's quarterback in Memphis this year? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> is it eight years <laughs> now? <laughs> uh, Seth Hennigan is Memphis's quarterback. He's honorable mention. Gotcha. But is Aylers the third team? It is not. It is Davis Brin from Tulsa. Your third about, team. Uh, the other kid from, was the quarterback at Tulsa. Your the guy from team, all AAC. No, that's uh, Tulane. Oh, Tulane. Mike, oh, oh, Tulsa. Oh, man, Tulsa. I forgot all about Tulsa. And yeah, it, you know, we do have a soft Tulsa. schedule. We don't play Tulsa. We don't play Houston. <laughs> man, wow. And we got all these other the tough games are at home. What are we complaining about? Yeah, I didn't have you coming into this uh, with us being the, the soft schedule, Mike, but, <laughs> but, but I will take that. Uh, the other thing that came out today, the coaches poll was released. I know you love the preseason polls, Mike. I know you love oh, them. Yeah. Um, the, the coaches poll was released. UCF obviously does not uh, place in the top 25. If you uh, did the math on the others receiving votes, I think UCF comes in at 32. If I have that number right, Mike. So 32 ranking for UCF, a nine and four team returning, you know, some guys obviously, but obviously quarterback still being a position of, of question. Is that a fair spot? Or, or is UCF Mike happy with 32 out of the shoot? I, I think it's fair. Yeah, coming off last year and then four losses, obviously a very bad loss to a, a Navy team. That, that to me is still inexcusable. Uh, we got blown out in two other games, SMU and, and Cincinnati. So I, I think it's fair. And, and for years, go back not even that long ago, 10 years ago, we would kill to be in the others receiving votes to open the season. Right? And now we were getting that respect at least a little bit coming off a four-loss season. Um, it's fine. Uh, we're going to have our chances early in the year. If we beat Louisville at home, we start out two and zero. If we if we stomp on Georgia Tech, we start out four and zero, and two wins over ACC teams. Depending on what the other teams do ahead of us, I think we find ourselves in the top twenty five pretty quickly. Houston ranked number twenty five. 
Mike in Cincinnati uh, checks in at 22. Obviously, Cincinnati is the highest-ranked opponent that we have on our schedule. Louisville only received one total vote, so they only have a, a one, so they're, whatever, in the 50s or 60s. Here. I'm not going to do the math here on that one. Outside of that, I don't see anybody else uh, that we are scheduled. I don't see Georgia Tech getting any votes on here, so it looks like uh, Cincinnati and Louisville are really the only teams that we're playing on our schedule this year that have any sort of representation here on the Coaches Bowl. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the price you play of playing in the American Athletic Conference. And, and these two schools that are ranked right now are actually leaving the conference with us. So uh, without the three of us, what is the American going to look like in years going forward? Um, you know, it, it is conference uh, coaches poll. Somebody voted for Texas, number one in the country. So yes. take this whole thing with a grain of salt, I guess. Florida State with one vote. Mike, the highest Big 12 team on here, uh, if you exclude uh, Texas and Oklahoma, Baylor checks in at 10, Oklahoma State checks in at 11. So our future friends, Baylor and Oklahoma State, are represented on this list as well. So um, you think about the yeah, the big, the new Big 12 right here, Baylor, Oklahoma State in there, and then uh, Cincinnati, Houston, so four teams uh, in the top 25. Right, and I believe BYU is actually ahead of us too. I think they had 29. Um Iowa State, yep. Iowa State's not far behind either. So pretty nice conference that we're heading into. Baylor was a very good team last year. Uh, I expect them to be pretty competitive again this year. I'm rooting for Baylor uh, over Texas and Oklahoma for sure. Well, closet Baylor fan. Okay, I'll take it. I mean, anybody but Texas and Oklahoma, I think. Right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's certainly fair enough, Mike. Um, and then uh, really quick, interesting news today. I, I was not tracking to this, and, and good for him, Mike. Bam Moore. As resurfaced, Bam Moore transfers to Nebraska. So he'll be playing, I think, his sixth or seventh year. I don't know how many numbers this is at this point. Uh, so he'll be playing uh, at Nebraska. Back with Frost. And remember, Bam had the big play in the Navy game with Scott Frost. I always have, he was must have been a freshman back then, right, in 2017? Was, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a big, big play in that game. Close game at the time, I believe it was fourth quarter. Um you know, good for him. He, he's getting somewhere where he's familiar with the coaches and he can get somewhere to, he can play. And remember, we have his brother on our team this year, right? Cam Moore? We do have Cam Moore, oh, yeah. So still got the ties there with Bam. Nice. Still the ties with Bam. So that, that's a quick little news and notes off the top, obviously. Again, practice is a heat up again. There was no practice, uh, at least media availability on Monday. Uh, again, all leading up to a scrimmage uh, on Saturday, Mike. And then I think there's Fan Fest Friday night. Or, uh, or the Charge On Tour Friday Night Fan Fest on uh, on Saturday. So some opportunities. We're supposed to be getting jersey reveals this week, too. We'll, we'll get into that, I'm sure, here in a few minutes as well, Mike. So a, a fun week ahead. If you have not done so, Michael, have you checked out our YouTube channel? I have. I, our YouTube page has been blowing up this last week. Yes. Thank you to Mr. Trace Trokel doing all yes. the hard work that he has the last couple of weeks. One Trace J. Trelko, I have no idea what his middle name is, uh, he, he sent me no fewer than like 19 videos and 19 cut-ups that are now available for you on YouTube. We got players, we got coaches. You know, these are digestible four, five, six-minute clips. Poor Herb Hand, get him a lozenge, please. That, 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 that man's voice is gone already. Uh, but good insight leading into the season as well. So make sure you check out our YouTube channel, at UCF. I think we're close to 600, Mike. I haven't checked in a little bit here. Do you know the number? The last I checked, I think it was 597. All right, let's but do this live here. Let's let's see what we got. 597 still is. So we are three away from 600. It feels like just the other day we were trying to get to like 325. Uh, yeah. and we, are, uh, we are closing in on 600. 
we were begging to get to 450 for it felt like months to give away yeah. one of those uh those cups there so yes. and we've blown past that dude gone from 500 to almost 600 in about a week so that, yes. that's nice to see it is nice to see. So uh, make sure you subscribe. If you're not one of those 597, shame on you. Still have time to, to correct that. And a bunch of fun videos. We're going to post some of the podcast stuff here as well. So uh, Mike and I are going to start doing these via video, uh, and we'll start cutting some of these clips up. If you follow us during the season, we often do a game breakdown. We'll uh, we'll cut that up. We'll put that video out there. we got Mike's picks. We have some fun stuff coming up with Mike's picks this year, so we'll put, we'll put that on there as well. Uh, obviously, we have guest interviews, and we have an opportunity like we did this evening. We'll put that on there as well. So get to our youtube channel so you can get all that figured out but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to do uh do a little bit of fun here i got some some great questions for mike so don't go anywhere where the sons of ucf are brought to you like gordon partners los californianos nos hemos esforzado mucho para vencer el covid-19 haciendo cosas como ponernos la vacuna y la dosis de refuerzo hacernos la prueba antes y después de viajar Quedarnos en casa cuando estamos enfermos y usar una mascarilla cuando puede protegernos a nosotros y a otros. Sigamos protegiéndonos unos a otros contra el COVID-19 para que California siga avanzando. Para más detalles, visita covid19.ca.gov-es. Un mensaje del Departamento de Salud Pública de California. This is UCF Head Football Coach Gus Malzahn. You're listening to the Future of UCF podcasting with Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Boom. All right, Mike, brought to you by our good friends at Gordon and Partners. The inspiration for this segment, Mike, is guilty or not guilty. I took a different spin on it this time. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you just tell me whether or not you think we're guilty of these things, right? So it should be a lot easier. These are really yes, no questions. I think you can handle this one. So are you prepared for the first one? Guilty, not guilty. Are you ready? I'm trying to decide if I'm guilty of these things or us as you guilty. It's a, it's a we. It's a royal we here. We're all one big happy family, Mike. Are we guilty of forgetting about Nakai Martinez? Apparently. Yes. <laughs> After uh, some of these videos that have come out, uh, they're trying not to show who's throwing these passes, but he's all over them on defense. So, um, you know, I don't know if we all forgot about him. It's just that we were giving a lot of credit to the guys that were on this team last year, you know, Devontae Brown, Corey Thornton, Justin Hodges. We, and by the way, did you see that picture of Hodges jumping through the air? The guy looks like Superman. Yes. <laughs> he, he's built like a who horse. Threw that, though, who threw that ball? Because that ball is nowhere near anybody. <laughs> but we don't know who that is, so I assume it's Plumley. He jumped higher than I think my head would be. He, he jumped a good five, six feet off the ground. Um, but, yeah, Nakai Martinez, highly rated recruit coming out. And, you know, we, we thought maybe we'd see one or two of these freshmen get a chance to make some plays on Saturdays. But this guy is the leader in the clubhouse right now for the young freshmen that may be, make an impact here early on this season. Yeah, again, he's a name you heard at the at the, at the podium. Um, somebody asked him that question. I think it, uh, I think it was uh, Jeremiah John Baptiste. Someone said, who, "Who stood out to you?" And he mentioned Akai Martinez. You saw the videos of him making plays everywhere. We just said Quadric Bullard was uh, first team All AAC. Devad Wilson was was second team All AAC. I think those are the positions that Kai Martinez would play unless he's going to play some of that nickel slot corner. But then you mentioned the other guys. You mentioned Corey Thornton, who is first team. You mentioned Devontae Brown, who's first team. You mentioned Justin Hodges, who had a really good year last year as well. So there's a lot of players in that in that area that, um, you know, perhaps 
where do these guys all fit? And and it'd be really interesting to see if a true freshman like Nakai Martinez can break through that group because we're not talking about hey, you know, we we played okay last year in the secondary. We we had a really solid secondary. Those guys are all solid players. So if he can break into that group, Mike, that's pretty damn impressive for a uh, for a local kid, a four star kid. I think it also helps the recruiting piece as well. A local kid getting playing time early on. All these other kids who are watching the UCF says, hey, man, the guy went there and he's getting some run already. Maybe I want to go there, too. The secondary has a chance to be special this year. Going back to the secondary we have with Joe Burnett and Sharif Rashad and those guys, Jason Venson, what would they call themselves? The Smoking Aces. This yeah. team, this group here has a chance that if, if they can do some damage, they may be nickname worthy themselves. Oh. And we got to come up with one. I mean, I say, what's, got, that, what's that nickname? What's that nickname? You know, I don't know. We got to maybe do something right now. Okay. <laughs> we we got to figure something out. We got a couple of weeks to figure. I'll get on it. Uh, I mean, I'm the one who came up with King Kong. I'll come up with something for the second day. Congratulations. All right, Mike. Next one for you. Are we guilty of forgetting about Brandon Adams? He was a true freshman last year who came in and played some cornerback. If you watch those videos, you could probably get confused between 31, which is Brandon Adams, and 21, which is Nakai Martinez. Brandon Adams had a really nice play on the sideline there, broke one up. I think he had an interception later on as well that you saw, Mike. So, again, he's another kid. True freshman last year, got a lot of playing time, played pretty well in the, in the, in the spots that he had a chance to play into. Another name out there, Mike. Are we forgetting about him as well? I definitely forgot about him because <laughs> I mentioned all these other guys. So, yes. Um, but th this is great all around that we have this depth. So it, it's nice if you have two good corners and, and maybe a safety that you can depend on. But you just rattled off about six guys that now I think we all feel like, you know, if, if something happens to one of these starters and they maybe have to sit out a series or they get banged up or maybe even miss a game or two, you still feel comfortable with the guys that are in there at, and a guy like Adams who has some game experience to come in and fill the role that he has to do. I didn't even mention the Henderson twins who, who are also true freshmen as well, who you wonder if they're going to get a run this year where they get a chance to redshirt. Well, there'll be time for those guys to play as well. So just an embarrassment of talent you would think in the, in the, in the secondary, but obviously we've, we've thought this before and we've been let down by position groups. So I don't want to, to give them too much, Mike. Okay. Next one. Are we guilty? For overreacting when Jalen Robinson left. Well, I mean, when you look at now, Baker coming yeah. in, taking his number, and, yeah. and looking every bit the part, uh, maybe it, now it seems like an overreaction, but at the time, I mean, Jalen Robinson was a big piece of this offense, especially a couple years ago. We, we know he was uh, one of Gabriel's favorite targets. We've seen a lot of a lot of deep passes. He was a speedster. He came in with a lot of hype coming from Oklahoma, and, and he did well. So I think uh, knee-jerk reaction when we found out that he was leaving, a lot of people were upset by it. Uh, now it, I think that we've had a couple months to calm down. We've seen some highlights of some other guys doing some things. I think we're going to be okay. So I guess we were guilty a little bit of overreacting at the time. When's the last time you thought about Jalen Robinson? Uh, up until you just mentioned his right name right now, right <laughs> while, yeah, I, it does kind of you know when you see the number one making plays like that, and he's the most recent guy to wear that number. Maybe it, it creeps into the back of your head, but uh, I haven't really thought of him much. I haven't really thought of Dylan Gabriel much either. 
Well, that's that's what I'm getting at here in this one is we all, you know, to your point, when he left, it was like, oh, great, here we go. Why would he play the spring game and leave? We got no receivers. You know, who's going to take that spot? I know we got O'Keefe, but Kobe Hudson's new. And here we are three and a half, four months later, and we were just gushing over Javon Baker earlier and all the catches we saw him make in like literally like four second video clips. Right. We know Kobe Hudson had some talent. He's obviously second team all AAC, hasn't played a down in the AAC. He's already all second team. We know O'Keefe is a, is a good player as well. So it seems like we, we moved past Jalen Robinson pretty quickly. And that's what's interesting about it is even Dylan Gabriel, we all flip out when the portal opens up and we lose a guy. But here we are three or four months later, and we're already on to the next. We're already on to where we are. Now, I'm not going to say that Mikey Keene and John Rice Plumley are more talented quarterbacks than Dylan Gabriel. But I think in the receiver space, I feel like Jalen Robinson left. We all kind of hung our heads for a little bit. And all of a sudden, before you know it, we've, we've got some pretty nice, talented weapons on the receiving court. Yeah, and Robinson missing a big portion of last year kind of makes it a little less you know, of a loss, I guess. Or you don't think about him as much because last year he was gone for so much anyway. So it's kind of like he's been gone for two years now anyway. So that's maybe part of the reason why I don't think as much about Robinson. And same thing with Gabriel. Gabriel basically missed all of last year. He played the first couple games. And we've dealt – we played, how many, eight, nine games without him already. So they're both of those guys are kind of already in the rearview mirror. All right, here's the next one, Mike. Are we guilty if we're disappointed that we don't like our new uniforms? <laughs> here we go with the uniforms again. Here we, we go. We, we here, all right, Eric, I'm going to do you all a favor. I will ask Mike the uniform question so he can yell at me. I'll save you all the, the trouble of getting yelled at by UCF, Mike. I will take the bullets for all of us. I will ask Mike directly to give me his thoughts on this new uniform reveal, supposed to be coming up at the end of this week before FanFest. We're not expecting a ton of changes, but we don't really know what it is. I think some people are trying to figure this out. Helmets, jerseys, how many colors, pants, gold, yada, yada, yada. So I'll take the bullets for everybody here, Mike. Are we are we guilty for are we guilty for thinking too much about uniforms? Maybe it's a better way to phrase this for you. Yeah, I think okay, so. Okay, here we go. And well, we are not. You people are. I'm not. I, I don't think about it at all. And and to be honest, I'm now I'm at the point where I'm kind of hoping for just like a dud or something where people are seeing it and be like, Oh, and I kind of disappointed just because you guys get so worked up over this. I mean, what color is the neckline going to be? And is there going to be this stripe on my shoulder? Who cares? Yeah, Play the game, uh -huh. win the game, and score touchdowns. That's all that really matters. What are they wearing? I mean, give me a break. What about gold? Are you are you good if they bring gold back though? Like if we're going O'Leary gold because you saw gold pants at the at the spring at the at the scrimmage here, right? If they bring gold back, I know it's an original color. You know, you and I were at school there. Gold was the color. Obviously, after the GOL, you've got a gold shirt on as we talk. You know, there's gold all over our logo and stuff. So gold's part of who we are, but it has kind of retired from the jerseys. Good throwback for UCF, Mike. You want to stay away from the gold? Just go black white. What what's your gold? stance i like gold I'm, i really okay, do. I like gold okay i've got a gold shirt on as you mentioned for those that are just listening to the show audio um I, i'm fine with it black and gold black and gold charge onto the field you know that that's one of our two main colors and i'm cool with bringing it back i'm cool with the gold jersey i'm cool with gold pants I and mean, back in our day with dante playing it was black jersey gold pants and that was the way it was for a while until O'Leary got here and then he switched it up and made it gold jerseys. And, you know, it's kind of lost itself here in the last couple of years. And we got a lot of 
these uniform Nazis that are out there saying, oh, we can never bring gold back. The gold's ugly. Let's go with the anthracite. Let's go with Canaveral blue. Let's go with pewter and all this other stuff. It's black and gold. That's how, that's who we are. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it if they just have it as like the, the color of the numbers, if it's just like an accent to the black and white. But I'm cool with it if it's a, a main color too. I'm happy with the gold jersey. I don't care. I actually own a gold uh, Godfrey jersey. I think it actually looks good. Wow. So you're you're good. You're good gold. Okay. I, I did not see this one coming. What if it's all gold? Gold on gold. Yeah, whatever. If it's going to piss everybody else off, that's even more reason for me to like it. At this point, people make such a big deal of these uniforms. I'm kind of like uh, going the other way with it. So whatever gets more people riled up, uh, I'm all for it. You know, and, and good or bad, people are talking about it. It's good for the brand anyway, right? All for the brand, Mike. All right, here we go. News uh, this evening coming from uh, New York Post and Sports Business Journal that uh, that ESPN sounds like they're not going to win the rights to televise the Big Ten. That's going to go to CBS and or NBC. And now the reports are that ESPN will aggressively pursue both the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Are we guilty of worrying too much about television deals for our future conference at this point? Well, it does play a big role, I think, because you put on college game day and there's a three hour commercial basically leading up to the game. Uh, and, and they're going to hype up the schools that they're putting on their channels. Right. They're, they're probably not going to talk as much Big Ten. They're going to be forced to just because the Big Ten has such big brands. Ohio State is playing Michigan. They can't go three hours and just not mention that game. But it's not going to get the attention. Right. They, how many times they're not going to have college game day at those games. Right. I don't think they can. I guess technically they could. They could, but yeah, they yeah, usually don't go to the site where they're not broadcasting. Yeah. yeah I don't think they do. What are they going to do? They're going to show up to uh, Ann Arbor and do the whole pregame show and then kick it over to the guys at Fox to do the game? Probably not. So they'll probably find another game to, to go to. So I think it's a big deal. ESPN, as much as I don't like ESPN, I, I don't want to have to support them. They do control what a lot of people view because I mean, a lot of people are just creatures of habit. How many, how many years have you just turned on ESPN to, for your highlights? And you know that that's just what you do nowadays. I, I still don't even know what channel Fox Sports One is, right on my TV. It's in the two yeah, hundred or six hundreds. I'm not even sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know which. I don't. I don't know about your TV. I think I can find it on mine. It's right behind ESPN. Um, so that's the only way I know it. I go to ESPN. I'm like, oh, there's Fox Sports One. It's like two channels down. Other than that, I don't think I can find it. Although I have that remote where I can just like say. Fox Sports One, it turns it on, so I got I got a cheat code here, Mike. But I think the good news from this, though, is this opens up more money that's available now for the Big 12, right? Because now if ESPN is going to lose out on the Big 10, which seems kind of weird, by the way, I don't know how much you think they're going to be out of that, um, but if they're going to be out of the Big 10, that just opens up more money possibilities for the Big 12 because now ESPN needs inventory, right? And I think the name of the game for them is they want to be able to fill windows of time. So now they have windows of time they have to fill with programming, with content, with games, Here's us in the Big 12 saying, hey, we've got a we've got a contract up. We've got games we want to show. Why don't you guys show some of these? So it potentially puts us in a position to 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 get some revenue. We'll see how this all shakes out because this is all monopoly money at the end of the day. But we'll see if we actually end up uh, benefiting from any of this stuff. Yeah. So if ESPN had locked up the SEC and the Big Ten. Really, they'd have no need for us and they'd have no need for the Pac-12 either. Right, because yeah. it'd just be like a secondary lesson. Or if they wanted to keep us, they could keep us for a lot less money. Now we have some negotiating power. We can we can use Fox and NBC and CBS against 
ESPN and drive that number up and even some of these streaming possibilities with Amazon and all this other stuff. So I think this is good news for our future in the Big 12. All right, Mike, here we go. Are we guilty of overlooking the South Carolina State game? Uh, no. Uh, we're, we're going to win that game, right? Um, there, there have That's been years. Me. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, we're going to win that. If we don't win that game or if that game's a struggle, and this was the case a couple times in the O'Leary era, there were like some opening games, and you could tell right away, if we struggled in that first game, again, whether it be Villanova or Samford or Bethune, whoever we were opening up, there was a couple times, I think you go back to like 2006, 2008, where we didn't look that great in that opener. And you knew we were going to be in for a rough season. Um, 2015 against FIU. And I know it's not Furman, which was the case a couple of weeks later, but still, uh, if if we don't blow them out and we don't win that game, and Gus is not going to run up the scoreboard, I don't think, as much like we saw Heupel do or we saw Frost do where we would win, beat Bethune, what, like 52 to nothing? 50, but I think if we're up 35 nothing in the fourth quarter and he's just running the ball on every play, I, I think that'll be fine. Maybe a 42, 40. Eh, we got to win that game by at least five touchdowns. At least, I would think. How, do you, do, prefer, how do you prefer your opening game? Do you like your opening game with a bit of a, a bit of a cupcake style to it? Or do you like last year, Boise State, coming in, first game of the year? You've been waiting for months for football to start, right? We, you know, Obviously, you and I are on the show every week, chomping at the bit for a game. I remember how freaking pumped we were for that Boise State game. We waited in the parking lot for like nine hours. But either way, we got there, and it was, it was exciting. How do you like your first game? Good matchup, good opponent, or give me a cupcake. Let me work the rust out. For the team's sake, I like them to have a cupcake. I like them. To, and especially in a year like this, we still don't even know who the starting quarterback is. I think it's very important that they have this cupcake this year. But, yeah, last year was a lot of fun. I, I, I love that. Uh, how much fun was it going into the Ireland game? You know, that was a big matchup, Penn State to start. You get jacked up for it. Now, this year, we have a cupcake, but week two right away, big game, Louisville. So you don't have to wait too long. If we had to wait, like, three weeks, like some of these schools, uh, you start, you see the schedules of some of these teams, they don't play a tough game until week three, week four. They, you kind of lose that steam heading into college football. And we're jacked up for it. You want some exciting games up front. So this year, I'm okay with it. So, but I do, I do like. I would like to see this in a kickoff classic game one day. It, it, it adds to the excitement. I, I enjoyed the Boise State game last year. I think that that was a lot of fun, uh, and it turned out to be a great game. So, in the future, I'd like to see some more big games. This year, I think it's perfect for us the way it's set up. Yeah, as a fan, I agree with you wholeheartedly. As a fan, like you always want that first game to be something like you're anticipating and you're watching. I think everyone's kind of looking ahead to Louisville already, which is obviously that that Friday after the the opener. I think that's the game people are like, hey, are you going to be there? I'll be at that game. I'll see you at Louisville. I think we've all bypassed that first game. It's a Thursday night, so it's kind of an awkward thing. Um, but I, I, as a fan perspective, I do last year the excitement of going in, playing a top opponent, you know, right out of the gate, Gus's first game. I think that was exciting, but I agree. I think to work the rust out a little bit, I think, you know, South Carolina, and it's not like we're not going to watch it anyway. You're going to be at the watch party. I think you've announced it officially now. Is that we can, you can share all these details now? Yeah. The den in Fort Lauderdale, downtown Fort Lauderdale, formerly the public house, which was where we used to have the watch parties down here for a long time. That's where I watched the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor. 
Had a great time there. I actually watched both Fiesta Bowls. I saw the one against uh, LSU there, too. Unfortunately, we lost that one. But a great place to go watch the games. Good atmosphere. I will be there for the opener. I was there for the opener in 2018, the first ever Hypel game where we played UConn, and we beat the crap out of them there. So fun place to watch the game. I'll be doing the pregame show live from there. Uh, I'm excited for that. So that's another good reason to have a game like this where it's not stressful. You know, I think if, it, if this was a really stressful game, I don't know if I could go. I'd probably go still go watch the game there. But I don't know if I could ha ha do the pregame show. I'd be too nervous, right? Okay. At least this game, I know going in, we're, we're going to take care of business. I'll be relaxed for it, have a good time, have a couple of drinks. But, um, yeah, I'm excited for it. Okay. All right. My last one. I saved the hardest one for last. Mm -hmm. Is Gus Malzahn guilty for not using the portal better to get a quarterback? No, <laughs> what other quarterback did you want him to go get? He got the guy that he thought was going to fit his system the best, mm -hmm. right? I don't know what other quarterbacks were available to him. Also, you got to figure in, it's not just, you know, go out and get whatever guy you want. You're probably going to have to, some of these guys are asking for money. Uh, and now I don't know if probably right. actually asked for any money. It doesn't, probably not, or else we probably wouldn't be here right now. And you probably got him at a discount seeing that he didn't even play quarterback last year, right? Mm -hmm. So. There's probably some schools that were searching for quarterbacks that maybe stayed away from him because they said, hey, he couldn't cut it as a quarterback at Ole Miss. Maybe he's not going to be yeah, – another SEC school is probably not going to go after him. Another big-time school is probably not going to go after him. So we probably got a deal uh, and probably the best option for us at the time. Now, if he turns out to not even be the starter, eh, maybe you can you can question <laughs> it a little bit. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think Gus did what he thought would fit his system the best. Yeah, who was available? I mean, Jerry Bohannon uh, from Baylor is now with the Cows. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty solid quarterback. Bo Nix was in the mix for a while, ended up going to Oregon. And to your point, there's there's money involved. We don't know. I saw, I, I think it was the quarterback from um, Incarnate Word, Cameron Ward, got like 90000 bucks or something like that to go to Washington State. Uh, in an apartment, in a car or something like that, right? So I don't know where where we were at that at that point in time. But if Gus goes to the portal, gets the quarterback, and Plumlee doesn't even win QB one, I mean that's what makes you wonder: did did you know did Gus settle for anybody just for competition? You know, did you really think this guy was good, or were there other options that Gus could have gone after? I think it's just an interesting question if you think through. If Keen ends up being the quarterback and Plumlee can't even you know sort of win the job, uh, why even go bring him in at this point, right? Yeah, I think Plumlee, even if he is not the starting quarterback, you're still going to see Plumlee. Right? And we saw the packages that he had last year with Navarro and Gatewood. Plumlee's going to get a little bit more than that, even if he's not the starter. So I think he's still going to be a, a contributor on this team, starter or not. I think it, it's still a good pickup. Yeah, we know the athleticism. And, hey, if things work, don't work out, you can go back and play receiver. He can do other things to help this team. So, And he seems like a good kid overall. Um, I, I think it's a fine pickup. No well, and to be fair, too, we have Thomas Castellano sitting behind both those two guys. So I think we all think is the future. I think we all assume he's going to retro this year. No, I mean, I think at this point we all assume he's probably going to, you know, obviously he gets four games to play. So maybe he gets some garbage time uh, PT at this point. But unless something catastrophic happens, I imagine we all think he's going to retro this year. Yeah, that has to be the plan. And I think Castellanos is probably fine with that. He probably pictures himself playing four years in the Big 12. I think that's yeah. what he's probably came here to do. Um, and he needs that year to develop. Uh, you know, typically, when you have a big-time program, you, that's how it goes. That's how it used to be. 
you know, you would have a guy play his junior senior year and then the, the young kid would sit his freshman sophomore and then he get his two years and things like, and then you keep going that way. I know lately we've seen a lot of freshmen come in, especially here at UCF. We've seen Mackenzie Milton. We've seen Dylan Gabriel. We saw Jeff Godfrey. So we've kind of been used to the freshmen come in right away. But I think if you really want to draw it up right, you want the veterans to play for a couple of years. And then by the time these guys are ready to step in, then they're, they're, they know the system and, and it's a lot easier for them. Yeah, and maybe that's the thinking of bringing Plumlee in, right? If if he's good, great. You know, Gus. You know, basically, it's a it's a low risk move. If he comes in and he's fantastic, then to your point, you grab the wide receiver essentially off the scrap. He brought him in, made him a serviceable quarterback, and won a bunch of ball games. If he doesn't pan out, you know, you've got a Mikey Keene who at least you're comfortable with, and you've got Castellanos kind of waiting in the wings. And then you know, maybe this sets up for next year. There's a battle between those two for QB one at that point. Um, you know, or again, if Plumley turned out to be great this year, then great. Gus hit lighting in a bottle. I guess it still remains to be seen. You think we see both, though, regardless, right? So, in, in your mind, basically, you know, the Gatewood package type stuff, you think that's where we see Plumley, regardless of if Keen or he win the job? At the very least, yeah. If Plumley's not starting, he's still going to play. Now, if Plumley is starting, do we see Mikey at all? That's the question. And hmm. that's going to depend a lot on can Plumley complete the passes? You know, can he move the sticks? and just do the bare minimum, get the ball in the, in the playmaker's hands. If he's coming in and he's throwing the ball in the dirt and he can't hit a receiver on a 10-yard out, then then you're not going to see him throw much. You're just going to see him come in for those running packages. So, um, But I, I, I believe both will see the field. Uh, this is going to be more like a Chris Leak, Tim Tebow kind of thing the first time they want it. You know, mm-hmm. Tebow was young. I, it's not the same because Plumlee is the older guy here. But – but, um, you know, Tebow still had his package where he'd come in and he'd do the jump pass and all that stuff and, and just kind of light the spark a little different way on the ground. Are you going for the Plumley jump pass? <laughs> we saw was, was the, was the game was jump pass. To, yeah, no, he tried to jump pass for sure. wasn't so successful. I, I'd say that's probably in the Gus playbook as we've already seen. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And, and, and Plumley looks like he jumps every time he throws the ball anyway. So um, maybe He's something plyometric training in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that's why he's struggling to maybe Gus is like, Hey bro, you don't need to jump. Just go ahead and throw that thing. It's good. Let it, let it loose. Let it, let it go. Uh, again, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see We even had Nick Patty on the live show last week, Mike, and Nick raved about how much Gus raved about JRP's athleticism and how much that guy can do. So I, I think Gus is just hoping JRP can just like, I feel like he's that guy like JRP's going to throw a swing pass. Gus is like, yes. Uh, like he's excited when he can like do something. And Lindsay's like, bro, is a swing pass. And he's like, I know, shut up. Uh, and I think he's trying to figure out a way to give the job to Plumlee. But who knows? Yeah. I would go back and look at Mikey's passing last year. The chart breakdown. He didn't throw a lot of balls deep downfield either. So <laughs> he's going to have to improve on that too. Somebody's going to have to hit a, a deep pass every once in a while. Mikey did it in the guys' real ball. He hit O'Keefe, but he's going to have to get a little more consistent with it at least to uh, make everybody happy. Well, it's the only the only pass he, he threw that far that was completed though. But um, all right, Mike, another couple of quick announcements here while we got your ear. Uh, preseason sunnies. We've worked out the official list that we will send out. I'll probably do that like Tuesday, Wednesday, Mike. Uh, it's a 25-question sort of survey preseason. Got to check in, see where your heads are at here. Uh, and then Mike and I will give you the answers. We'll give you our picks as well, MVPs, newcomers, 
who's going to lead the team in this, who's going to lead the team in that. We've got some fun stuff at the end there, just some some more funnier uh, stuff. So check out our our, uh, our Twitter account for the preseason sunnies uh, coming soon. Then we'll announce those winners in grand fashion at some point in time. Like I know everybody loves the sunnies. Preseason sunnies are always great for you. This is how we know a season's almost here, right? First, you get these watch lists. Then we get the uniform reveals. And we already had the coaches poll. We're going to get the AP poll. But when you start hearing the Sunny Awards come out, you know we're right around the corner. And then you, the, the week after that, probably, we'll do our, our game predictions. And I'll tell you how we're going to go undefeated. Then you then you know the, the season's about to kick off. But the Sunnies, we do it a little different. And you know, we do some obvious categories. You know, who's going to be the quarterback this and that but then we have a couple little silly things that we throw in there which always makes it fun for the fans here so i want to get everybody's feedback too because i'm curious some of these questions are are pretty tough i don't even i looked at them i don't know how i'm going to vote in half of them yeah so uh it's going to be interesting to see what everybody else thinks well, the other thing we, we, I mean, I was going through the list here of things that we have to do. Like there's a checklist every year we go through, right? We do, um, you know, depth chart breakdown, like who's going to win what assignment, right? We've got schedule. We got to go through each game, Mike, and figure out if we're going to win or lose this thing and how we're going to fare. We got a lot of work to do. And we only got a couple of weeks left to do it. Right? Oh, Today yeah. is August 8th. We're, we're eight. less than a month to kick off. How many yeah, more of these? We only have... Two or three uh, more live shows. 15, and, 22, 29. Uh, yeah, so we got three more shows left after this. Yeah. Uh, quick, you know, we finally got some uh, practice footage now for this week. I, we promised it last week. We didn't have it, but now we have it. And next week, Sunny Awards. So, you know, put it on the calendar. Get Buckle ready. Up. And, and put. we want to see your input and see what, uh, where everybody's head's at heading into the season. And we're going to do the Sunnies on video. We're going to do live on video. We'll, we'll put the categories up. We'll get some pictures of the winners, Mike. I mean, it, we're going to big production. I mean, if we're not over 600 YouTube subscribers after the Sunnies, we should just shut this thing down. But we don't know who actually wins the awards until after the season, right? Well, we know what, we win, who wins yeah. the vote. Man, vote. Correct. The postseason sunnies are really where the prestige is at. That's where this is like the watchless sunnies version, right? <laughs> it's the postseason awards where you give out the Doak Walker and the Heisman, the Maxwell. That's what that is at the end of it. This is just everyone's kind of opinion on kind of where we are. So it's this is the nomination, if you will. So this is this is the entrance into the actual Sunny Award, which I don't really have one for. So and it's always funny to see how we all vote preseason and then every the year at the end where we are wrong. I, I, Never, never have we never. been like a clean no. sweep. We haven't probably 50% correct on any of these. No, and we're going to stay away from like the MVP and all that stuff, right? Because, I mean, I think it's sometimes it's pretty obvious who that is on offense, usually the quarterback, right, or Bowser, O'Keefe. But we're going to stay away from some of that stuff just because it's obvious. So we'll get you with some more uh, more challenging questions. But don't go anywhere. We are sponsored by Gordon and Parker. This is UCF Athletic Director Terry Mahajer, and in my spare time when I'm not on TikTok, I'm listening to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Go Knights and charge on. All right, Mike, before we bring in Mike Osuna, excited to share a new sponsor as part of our agreement with the uh, 1012 Network, Mike. Home Field Apparel. I don't know if you know uh, much about Home Field Apparel, Mike, but vintage college shirts, vintage logos, vintage designs. Uh, these are made by college fans for college fans. Super comfortable, super comfy shirts, Mike. They're 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 the kind of shirt a guy like you would rock, man. I, they've got a bunch of UCF gear out there. And because we're now a part of that family, 
we got something for you. Homefortheapparel.com. Your promo code is SUNS12. You know what you get off, Mike? 15%. So go to homefieldapparel.com. You have 15% uh, for uh, for UCF stuff, and it's, uh, it's a pretty cool little deal. That's a big deal. 15%, that's a nice little savings there. Save you a chunk. I'll probably eliminate all the shipping fees and all that stuff that comes along with it, right? So it's basically, you know, uh, that's a nice little... Uh, it is a nice little chunk. It is a nice little chunk off, and, and that's, yeah, no, it's definitely nice. And uh, and so you should check at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, but don't forget to, don't go anywhere. Mike Osuna is going to be right after you hear us here, right? And uh, and Mike Osuna's got a really interesting story. Probably not a lot of UCF fans know about Mike's story, but I promise that once you hear it and kind of learn his background, uh, you'll be impressed. So don't go anywhere. Let's listen to Mike Osuna. All right, we're excited to bring in a guy that it's probably a name you don't know off the top of your head, but uh, he's got a fantastic story, was part of some really cool teams, kind of the cool building blocks of, of UCF. And uh, a guy I've been following for a while on Instagram has got a really great story, and I'm glad that he's able to finally hop in with us tonight. It's Mike Osuna. Mike played in 96, 97 walk-on, uh, and they played in that 97 season as well. But uh, first off, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time and hopping in to join us on the show tonight. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited for this. So usually I start these interviews off and I ask the guests, tell me a little bit about your story coming to UCF. And I normally would do that with you, but you've got such an interesting story prior to your arrival at UCF and some of the things that you kind of went through that I think, A, a lot of people don't probably know about it and B, I think is really interesting. So I'd love to kind of start, um, and I know this is kind of a sensitive topic, but I'd love to kind of start with... um, you know, your, your early childhood and you had some, you know, some medical issues pop up when you were a kid that you had to kind of go through. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that, share a little bit about, you know, that story and kind of what you went through, even, even as you're growing up as a kid? Yeah. Um, I was born to a Cuban mom and an Argentine dad, uh, that was a big, big into racing. And my mom was not into sports at all. Uh, that kind of paved the way for my story a little bit here. And I was born, uh, with a birth defect and I was, uh, also, suffered from some childhood illnesses. So growing up, I was skinny and frail and, you know, I was healthy to run around and do all these things. But my mom wanted to keep me away from sports as much as possible and especially football. And football is a sport that I fell in love with and I uh, wanted to pursue it as much as I could. So I was always on it, trying to get get her to put me into Pop Warner, some youth sports. And because of my condition and she was worried about me getting hurt and she wasn't a big football fan because all she saw was was on TV and it's pretty brutal and violent back in those days. Uh, She kept me away from it as much as possible. The only thing she actually let me play or participate in was wrestling my eighth grade year. And I was, just to put it in perspective, I was 103 pounds in the eighth grade. And back in those days, we went into ninth grade in junior high, and then high school started in in 10th grade, our sophomore years. So it wasn't until our sophomore year, my sophomore year, that I begged my mom to let me play some sort of organized sports. And I told her I'd be careful and so on and so forth. I went to a school where my cousin played at, so she allowed me to play football. So my first year of organized sports of any kind and football was my sophomore year in high school. That sophomore year I came in, I was roughly 140 pounds, 145 pounds, and never played organized sports. The helmet kind of wiggled on me. They didn't have any real pads for me. And went into JV at Cole Park, senior high, and they asked me, what did I play before? I said, I never played any type of football. So they put me at tight end. That must have lasted four or five plays, dropped every (laughs) single ball that was thrown at me. And they realized, okay, this is a defensive kid. Let's just 
put him in a spot somewhere on defense. And they put me a defensive end, kind of an outside linebacker position as well. I played four games my my sophomore year. I got benched the last two games of the season because I couldn't even hold containment. So I read the I rode the pine for the last two games. And then, unfortunately, going into my junior year, I wasn't big into academics. I was a goofball. I'd rather clown around. And I was ineligible my junior year to play football. It was a blessing in disguise. Now, looking back, hindsight being 2020, I was able to just hit the weight room, hit the school, pay a little bit more attention, and put on about 50 pounds. So come my senior year, I now hit a growth spurt, and I was 6'3", 220. So the coaches were a little bit excited about it. I was coming back. And we were getting ready. We were prepping, doing some off-season workouts during the summer. And then, as you guys know, Hurricane Andrew struck. And Hurricane Andrew devastated South Florida, especially the lower Miami area. We had to, I believe we canceled two weeks of school, which jeopardized three of our games. So here I am going into my senior year, four games as a JV guy, didn't play my junior year. And now I'm realizing I only got seven guys, seven, I'm sorry, seven games to try to put my eyes on some of the colleges out there to try to get a scholarship i didn't think it was going to happen but luckily for us we had a guy by the name of pistol Pistol p gonzalez that you know lit up the scoreboard and lit up dade county and brought a lot of these recruits down to miami core park where typically they wouldn't go to find talent so he ended up actually at pittsburgh panthers where he broke a bunch of dan marino's records and he actually ended up beating the Hurricanes at the Orange Bowl. This is back in the Orange Bowl days. So he made a big name for himself. He played for the Steelers a couple couple games in the NFL. But because of him, you know how that works. Here come the recruits to watch Pete play, and then they could kind of catch the eye of other, of other teammates. And that's what happened to me. Unfortunately, and this is not a moment that I'm proud of, um, my senior year after the season, I had a recruit from Louisville come down and offered me a letter of intent but before he did that he had to look at my transcripts looked at my transcripts he literally got the letter ripped it up threw it at me and said call us in two years once you get your your uh your two-year degree turned to my coach my coach is like listen we have a couple of schools calling for you but i can't give them anything because you don't even have the grades to go somewhere so there was a coach by the name of bridgman is all i could think of his first name but he was um a coach up at a college named Mount Scenario College in Ladysmith, Wisconsin. And when I tell you, I mean, the the gas station was the Arby's, was the Blockbuster. Everything happened in one location. It was one stoplight in middle America, very, very small town. Like, so that, sounds, small that, that sounds really cold there. Coming from Miami, that, oh, that sounds really cold. Freezing. It was a tremendous culture shock. I'd never been out of the state of Florida, and all of a sudden I'm ending up in Wisconsin uh, where it's you know 20 below wind chill factor and we're freezing. So I end up in Ladysmith, Ladysmith, Wisconsin. The school doesn't even exist now. That's how small it was. So I played my freshman year there. I end up being a starting outside linebacker. I have a decent season, but I recognize that this isn't for me. I need to go somewhere bigger if I want to get recognized. I end up transferring to the University of Wisconsin Stout that was about a mile, uh, about an hour away. And I got to do my own transfer papers in the whole nine. I go over there. I play defensive end for them for the season. I recognize that this is not where I belong. I need to be somewhere else. So I start, I recollect that coach had mentioned something about UCF and UCF at that time wasn't what UCF is now. So I, Mm. I'm going to 
assume that everybody in college football right now knows who UCF is. Well, back then, when you say UCF, you had to say Central Florida. You had to be specific because not a lot of folks knew. So I remember that Coach had mentioned something about UCF, and I contacted, I believe I spoke first spoke with Alan Gooch. Hmm. And Coach Gooch said, listen, there's really nothing that we could do for you. We're locked up here, but if you want to come and try out, you know, as a walk-on, but you got to do all your transfers, you got to take care of all that stuff on your own. So my sophomore year, I transferred from University of Wisconsin-Stout to Miami-Dade Community College, where I got my 60 credits, and then transferred to the University of Central Florida. And I remember going to University of Central Florida, and on walk-on day, I bumped into Coach Van Gorder, and it was uh, the hallway full of coaches, and he said to me, so everybody's betting that you're going to run under a 4.7. I'm going to guess a 4.9. And I said, why? Because I look goofy. And he goes, I'm not the one that said it. You said it. <laughs> so it was, it was uh, nerve-wracking, but it was exciting now to prove him wrong. And I did. I think I ran like a 4.740 or something like that that day. Um, but that's how I walked on to UCF. So I walked on. That was the first year that they transitioned over to Division One. So from Division One AA to Division One, which I believe was 90, 96 was the first year. So 90, 90, yeah, 96, 90, yeah. Right, 96. So yeah. 95 was the transition year. That might have been Marquette Smith. Mar- Marquette Smith. Yeah, Marquette year, was right? there. Yeah, yeah. Marquette was there. We played Florida State that year. And the reason I remember is, I don't know, maybe you guys could educate me on this because I don't know how it works now, but – at that time, you had to sit out a year. So when you transferred from a lower division to an upper division, you had to redshirt. And I hadn't wasted a redshirt year yet. So I had, the NCAA made me redshirt that year, which also gave me time to learn the game. Because at this point, maybe I got 30 games under my belt my whole career. So I'm still learning the game as I went on. So I redshirted that year and um, I ended up being scout team guy. And if you guys know scout team guys, we have nothing to look forward to because there is no games on Friday or Saturday. So the the offense kind of hated me because Tuesdays was my game day because Tuesdays was full pad, full go. And I would go 100 miles an hour because it's the only day that I had to really play actual live football. Um, and I remember some of the guys being upset with me and telling me to calm down a little bit and, you know, a practice superstar they would call me and stuff but <laughs> it was like i said i was kind of t- trying to take care of myself and do better for the team um f during the fsu game because that's when we played fsu at fsu at doe campbell yep. um i was michael bowyer so i remember the the scout team coach saying listen you're michael michael bowyer i believe that's who it was sure gave me a number 58 jersey he said mimic and do everything that this guy does because that's who you're going to be in practice all week long so um that's how i ended up at UCF was just continuing to transfer from one school to the next, just looking for a better opportunity. And once I saw UCF, I fell in love with it. You know, I was, uh, I had a, a moment there where welcome to division one football. When I saw Nakia Reddick hit Gerard Davis on a sweep. And I was like, okay, I'm, I, this is the real deal. Like these are the big boys here. Um, I know that was a little bit before your time, but a lot of these guys really stuck out to me because I recognized, like, this is where I need to be. This is where these guys will push me to get better and better and better. And the competition was a lot fierce. So um, I think that's where I kind of grew into my own and understood the sport. And they put me at a very easy position, which is pretty much light up in a wide nine and just rush the passer, you know, keep containment. But that's where I found, like, my true place was at UCF. Um, and then 96, we started, which was Division One. I. I was the part of that first team that started division one program. 
So you, you got there under, under Gene McDowell. So he was the head coach when you were there. What was what was Coach McDowell like? I mean, he's not uh, – obviously, he's passed away at this point. Uh, um, and so, you know, he's not around the program, but obviously. But what was he like as a coach? Because I think he's kind of forgotten when you think about some of the great coaches in UCF history. You know, as a 20-year-old kid coming in, he was um, intimidating, to mm-hmm. say the least. You know, I, I knew his history with FSU and, and bowed into those guys. And he carried that demeanor with him. I maybe spoke to him just a handful of times. Um, it was I was very close to my position coach, uh, Coach Cox, that also passed on. Uh, but I but I wasn't very close to Coach uh, McDowell. I know that him and I got it. He got under me a little bit. I had a tendency to fight a lot in practice. I don't know if it's this Miami thing or what. Um, <laughs> but I but I think I got under, underneath his skin. And I remember the Georgia Tech game. Uh, Kevin Reed and I were the um, the wedge protectors. So the guy that came down to break the wedge, we were the wedge. And I, I'm sorry, I'm lying. It was the University of Alabama-Birmingham game. And when I turn around, Kevin Reed is getting slammed by the linebacker that broke our wedge. And I jump back onto the field, and I start fighting the guy. And Coach kicked me out of the game. Coach McDowell kicked me out of the game. And Coach Willie Jones had to come to the locker room and bring me back to the game because they kind of needed me now and then. Uh, but McDowell was incredibly intimidating. He um, he was a great coach, and he understood us. And if you know the history of UCF and the things that happened with UCF during that time, um, that guy has my my undivided respect. And I, it was an honor to play underneath him and the legacy that he left and the, the what he paved for UCF to what it's become now. Um, I don't know if he gets enough credit, and I think mm-hmm. that it's been so far removed or so far along. The UCF that what it is now wasn't back then, but it, it, it's important that we remember these people that came through and paved the way like Coach McDowell. Is it true that he allowed you to have be the only guy to have long hair at the time? Was that a yeah. team rule? Um, I don't know if I was the only guy that he allowed. I don't remember him telling me ever to really cut my hair. I know he made fun of my hair a lot. I know he also – I had a um, I had this annoying – pulled growing that just wouldn't leave me alone so i would wear my you know they they make you wear a pink jersey because they're trying to get you out of the injured reserve list so he would walk by and make comments about my long hair in combination with the pink jersey just to try to get me back on the field and stuff but um you know he was really understanding Uh, my mom met him once and he was very very kind and very uh pleasant with my mother um and you know told told my little cuban mom that he was taking good care of me (laughs) Is there a reason behind the hair? You had a condition before that, right? Is that the yeah, I was I was born. My my skull didn't close completely when I was born, so um, it left a what you would consider a, a bald spot on it. So it was it, one of the things that the doctors were always very concerned about was uh, cancer. So skin's cancer because it was very vulnerable then. So growing up, they told my mom, "Listen." Just have him wear long hair, have him wear a cap, or keep him shaded as much as possible, a bunch of sunblock. So imagine you tell an old, older Cuban mom that, and she's going to be on me like white on rice on a paper plate. It was always trying to protect me, skinny little frail boy. And I think that once she went to UCF and saw what I had become and saw how I was being taken care of, she kind of just let me go and didn't worry about me or anything anymore. But um, Coach McDowell did a, uh, a great job. And that whole staff, that, that, that whole uh, – uh, training staff and uh, coaches 
everybody was very cool with with me and you know all the issues that I had growing up and it was a, a wonderful environment to be a part of. Mike, take us in the in the mind of a of a walk on, right? So you to your point, you have to prove yourself, it feels like week after week, right? Because your spot's not guaranteed. How do, how does a walk on mentality sort of take hold of, of a player like yourself? And what are the things that you're doing to try to prove yourself week in and week out? Yeah, you know, it's it's almost cliche when people say, like, tell me that I can't do something and now I want to do it, right? Um, and that was kind of where I was at in my UCF career was nobody really knew of me. I wasn't a blue chipper. I heard even at UCF, I heard of so many big names coming into UCF as high schoolers that haven't even stepped onto the field and ran a play, and they're getting all this notoriety. And here's Michael Suna, and nobody knows who he was. So, you know, to say that I came in with a chip on my shoulder was an understatement. And I wanted to better the team. And I think that this is where I kind of got my reputation for fighting a lot because I kind of had a, uh, a zero tolerance rule. And if you cross the line, I'm either fighting you or I'm going, you know, full, full go. So being a walk on, I felt the need that I could be a part of this team and contribute to this team. I just didn't want to be a walk on and just be a scout team or a practice player. Once I'm eligible to play um, my, my scout team year, my goal was to be scout team player of the year. And that's what I was named at the end of the year. Uh, me and I cannot remember the name of, me, of, of him, so I apologize. But we were co-scout team players of the year because I just wouldn't take no for an answer. And then I knew that coming into my junior year, although I had two very good other defensive ends in uh, J-Mac, uh, uh, Jermaine McWhorter, and Benoit, which was had an amazing season, I felt that I should be getting just as much, if not more, playing time with them. And that rotation of, you know, three starters was annoying for me and for them. We all knew that we wanted to be the diehard starter every single game and play as much as many plays. But that level of competition just raised our play. Um, so having that walk-on, and I remember there was an article uh, written, I believe, in Orlando Sentinel about, you know, walk-on. And even though it's nice to see, um, I wanted to to everybody to forget that I was a walk-on and it was a, a blessing to receive that scholarship going into my junior year. That was a big deal. Now, you know, there's TikToks and Instagrams all about it. And <laughs> right. To be honest with you, I can't even remember how I was told because I think it was just like, Hey Mike, you're on scholarship now. But I do remember calling my mom because, you know, we didn't grow up with a lot of things and uh, calling my mom and telling her, Hey, listen, we're going to be at least financially set for the next two years and when I go on, I'm not going to have these huge amounts of loans that, you know, you were always worried about. So being a walk-on, I think, set the, set the tone for the rest of my career where, you know, no matter what, whether it was a growing injury or, you know, rotating at that defensive end position, I was always going to try to fight tooth and nails to better the team and better myself because I had expectations of playing beyond. Um, and it didn't help that Coach Willie Jones – you know, would sit down and say, son, you can play in the league, you know, if you just get this and this and this straight. I say it didn't help because that fueled my fire to just focus on football and be the maniac that I was, you know, to try to get that next level opportunity. All right, I got to know more about the fighting. So you, you, obviously it sounds like you, you got into quite a few tussles with your teammates. Did the offensive yeah. guys, A, not like you, and B, were you strategic about who you fought? Were you going after like the little guys? Were you going after the offensive so, linemen? Walk me through your strategy there. So there was no strategy. I okay. was a knucklehead. I was race car in the red. And, you know, if you've seen a fight in football pads, it's not a fight. It's sure. you're, if you're swinging, you're hitting a helmet and you're an idiot because now you're going to break your hand. 
but I just I always felt felt the need to defend myself or defend my teammates. And there's a uh, the most memorable story of a fight where I almost got kicked off the team. And you could maybe Dante remembers this, maybe he doesn't. Maybe Coach Kruzek remembers this, maybe he doesn't. But um, Justin Moore, we were doing it was the last week of the last uh, game of the season. And we're doing pass protection. And Justin Moore, my defensive tackle, was getting bullied. And he got, well, when I say bullied, he got lit up by Marcus. And then he got lit up by Connell Green. And if Cornell Green ever watches this, he, he could testify to this. <laughs> and then Dante, I have no idea why he's messing around with us in pass, bro. He lights up Justin. So I take <laughs> off and I light up Dante. And I remember all I remember doing is hitting Dante, Dante's feet. I mean, this is the million-dollar baby, right? His feet passing my head, him laying down, and I think, oh, my God, I killed this guy. Like, I ended his career. And Coach Kruzik ran up and says, if you would have heard him, I would have sent you back down to Miami. And I'm like, Coach, is he even okay at this point? And he was great. He gets up. He's laughing at me. He's like, I'm going to get you as soon as that type of stuff. But, you know, it never followed me into the locker room. And I don't, I don't believe, to answer your question, to this day, I'm still staying in contact with some of those guys. I don't believe that there was any animosity. I just believe that they realized this guy just wants to play. That's all I wanted yeah. to do. You know, I want to play football. I want to contribute to the team. I want to make the team better. I want to make myself better. So th there are scuffles, and but McDowell had enough of it. He said, "Mike, just enough with the scuffling. You just do it way too often." But it was a good time. It was all it was all in good fun. Nobody got hurt out of it. But it was uh, it's unfortunately something that followed me around for a couple of years. So Adam and I got to campus in 98, and I didn't know anything about UCF myself. So I was asking a couple of my buddies, and they said, yeah, you know, this past year, they were like the best 0-3 team in the country. We lost a, what, it was a one-point game to Mississippi, two-point game to South Carolina. We're beating Nebraska at halftime in, in week three. What do you remember about the start of that season in those games? Yeah, um, so our coming out of our junior year, it wasn't a – I wouldn't say it was the hardest of schedules, uh, not to disrespect any of those teams. And we ended up five and six. So we came into at my senior year, 97, which was Dante's junior year, with a little bit of a chip on our shoulders. And we had, a, we now had a schedule that we could get excited about. You just named them. We started off with Ole Miss at Ole Miss, mm -hmm. at South Carolina, at number one, Nebraska. So... I mean, you're talking goosebumps for three weeks going into these teams and then having these this firepower, this offensive firepower that could really put some points on the board. And um, I mentioned his name earlier, but Sia Burley, we had Mark Nonson, um, Mike Grant, we, and then, of course, we had Dante. So we knew that we could compete with these guys. So going into that game, look, I had the best seats in the house with, to watch Dante's career. And... Every time I tell somebody that I played with UCF, it always comes down to, did you play with Dante? Especially knowing how old I am. I'm like, of course. And I have a running joke I asked Dante a couple of years ago. I said, when you tell people that you played at UCF, do they ask you if you played with Michael Suna? He's like, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody knows who you are, buddy. But, but of course, we go into these games, and I, I'll never forget being on the sideline, watching us about to win in overtime against Ole Miss and setting the tone for the rest of the season. I think the guard gets pushed back, steps on Dante's foot as he's doing a QB dive, which was wide open. He could have literally walked in there, but he has his foot stepped on. He falls down, fumbles the ball. We recover, but the rule is the same guy that fumbles into the end zone has to recover it. So I think Kenny Clark might have recovered it. Anyways, we lose that game. 
Then we go to South Carolina. We give them a hell of a game. We lose that one. And then we're up 17-14 at halftime in Nebraska. And I don't know if you guys heard how much of you heard of this story of Nebraska, but during halftime, when we are going to the locker room, when we walk through the concourse, all the fans are standing in line cheering us on. And I don't, you know, we don't know, are they being sarcastic? Like, this is, this is eerie. I've never seen this. And supposedly it's one of their traditions where they thank opponents that travel to Lincoln, Nebraska to get beat by them. But mind you, we're up 17-14. And I think that's when Lee Corso, if I remember correctly, there was a breaking on ESPN or something, an update, and that's when he called us the best 0-3 team in the nation, which is weird because it's a compliment, but yet it's an insult because we can't win a game. But Dante was a huge part of that. And, you know, the, his surrounding cast and crew and obviously the stuff that Coach Kuzik put together, it was, a, it was an exciting year to say the least. Their quarterback in that game, obviously we got to know him a little bit more. Scott. I think he froze. Sorry, I think he was, yeah, I think he yeah. froze. I think he was going to ask you about, about Scott Frost, obviously, Scott who, Frost. who became obviously the head coach at UCF. What do you remember about playing him that day? Because he, he was a, a legendary quarterback in Nebraska. Right? He was one of those guys that he was yeah. revered there. What do you remember about – obviously, you went up against him on the defensive side. What do you remember about playing Scott Frost? Yeah, if I remember correctly, the, the Nebraska ran this annoying triple option, and yeah. Scott was incredibly athletic. And you have these linemen – they had these linemen – twice my size and they would cut block this is the way that they were and it was the most annoying obnoxious thing it was like a zone cut and they would just have us read you know whatever scott does so um you know here here i am the defensive ends and you got to get assigned one guy or the other and at first we tried feathering scott and then we tried attacking scott and it was tough i think that we shut them down and when i say shut them down they put 14 points on us in the first half but I remember him being incredibly athletic. They, you know, back old school Nebraska ran for most of their yards. I think that that game he only threw for a hundred something. I don't remember what he ran for, but I do remember watching film on him. And coach told us, "Listen, we could stop them seventy-two plays, but the four that we missed, they're all going to be for touchdowns. So you guys got to stay disciplined." And the triple option, it's all about discipline. It's all about repetitions. It's all about more in the heads than it is in the, the physical side of it. Um, and I do remember thinking, this kid's going to be something. And um, long and behold, he ends up being the UCF head coach. So um, <laughs> following the, the, that game, what was the rest of the season like? Because, I mean, you start off 0-3. And it's easy for a team to kind of just say, you know, all right, that, that was it. We had our best chance. But take us through the rest of the season. How do you guys keep your heads up and, and fight through the rest of that year? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we ended up having some some good games after that. I think we won a couple after that. And then we end up at Auburn. Um, and that was another, you know, goosebump moment where you end up playing Auburn and they're doing the War Eagle and here it comes down. And um, the rest of the season – for me personally, was exciting because again we're playing these big name schools. We're also going back and forth with uh, smaller schools, and you know, in, in, enjoying those wins at home in front of our Citrus Bowl crowd. Because back in those days, we did. <laughs> what's up, my man? Back in those days, we didn't end up playing. We didn't play. We didn't have the bounce house what it is now. We actually had to go and play it at the actual Citrus Bowl. So even if we had thirty, forty thousand fans, 
the upper bowl is empty, it didn't have that energy that the bounce house does now. So when I look back at the season, you know, we had a good win against Eastern Michigan. We had one against Idaho. So we had some good victories throughout the season. But those first three games really set the tone. And then I think that coming into the 98 season, after I was gone, they pretty much brought back a bunch of players. And they had, a, they had I believe, two losses that season. But they set, you know, their mark with Dante coming back his senior year, which I have tons of respect for Dante coming back his senior year. And then going into um, those games, I believe they lost to Auburn by some silly fumble or something in, in the fourth quarter, yeah. which if they yeah. would have won, I think it would have maybe given them a bowl game. I, so it, 97 season was um, was a lot of fun. I will tell you this much. I'm very jealous of the facilities now that they have. I'm very jealous <laughs> of the bounce house. Uh, I've been to the bounce house a couple times since I've been gone. And, um, you know, I wish those guys well, and I think that they've done a great job over there with that program. I mean, look, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, but did you guys recognize how good Dante was back then? I mean, was it was it well known, like, hey, this is going to be a guy who's going to play in the NFL? I mean, I assume that was kind of a fact that you all shared as a team? Yeah, I have a couple of, of uh, Dante moments, and the first moment that I have with Dante is I bumped into him at Collegiate Village Inn, which was our dorms back in those days, yeah. and I, he was wearing a pair of shorts and a, uh, a white tank top. And I'm sizing everybody up, and I said, that's probably one of my competitions. Like, this guy probably plays defensive end. I got to try to beat this monster, whoever he is, out. And then later on that evening, we had, you know, first day orientation, and he stands up, and he says, Dante Culpepper. And I had heard of this god that was coming into UCF, um, Mr. Florida football. I think it was Mr. Florida basketball, this phenom. And I'm like, this is the quarterback? This guy's a monster. He was 260 pounds with a waist this big. I'm like, there's no way this guy's a quarterback or as athletic as they say he is. And sure enough, he was every bit of it. Um, Dante, you know, through my collegiate career and my arena football stint, probably if not the best athlete I'd ever seen to do anything, anything that, that you put that guy to do. I saw him do a backflip once after jumping rope, just the silliest things. And I could go on and on. I had a little bit of a little bit of a rivalry, if you will, against Dante. Um, I'll give you one brief story. The black and gold game, I want to say it was our my senior spring ball of my senior year. We end up, uh, you know, they divide the coaching staff into two uh, different teams, black versus gold, and then they do a draft, and they start picking people. And, of course, Dante's going to be the first guy picked. So Dante gets picked, and then myself and Jason Thorpe get picked, and then everybody goes one and one and one until the, the players are eliminated, and there's your two teams. Well, going into the last drive, we went into a two-minute drill, and um, you know we got fans around, and we got referees. It's a full-blown spring game. And I must have touched Dante with his red jersey on four or five times throughout the scrimmage, and at no point did any of the referees stop and call it a sack. So now I'm starting to get upset that nobody's calling this a sack. And here they are driving down, and we're down by four or something, and they're driving, and I beat my guy on an inside spin move. Dante boots out, and I could see him about to throw, and I'm like, this guy's going to throw it. They're going to score. They're going to win the black and gold game, as silly as that sounds. So I decide, stupidly enough, to knock the ball out of his hand when he goes to cock back to throw it. So I dive, hit the ball, ball comes out of his hand, 
knocks out. My team goes crazy. Everybody jumps on me. We're celebrating now. Coach McDowell calls us up. Everybody take a knee because it's the end of the scrimmage. And all of a sudden, I get hit with something. My helmet spun sideways. I'm looking out of my ear hole. And it's Dante that speared a ball at me because he was upset that I knocked the ball out of his hand as opposed to touching him. And I told him, listen, if I would have touched you, they wouldn't have called it a sack. You would have won, and I couldn't live with myself. So he's like, you could have hurt my arm. And I'm like, again, I completely understand. I apologize. But Dante, one of the most humblest guys that I've ever met. I mean, I'm sure you – have you guys had a chance to have him on to the on the Not podcast? yet, no. We have not. Okay. Com- completely humble, lay-, lay low type of guy, ne- was never full of himself, was a jokester inside the locker room, very kind. I spoke to him maybe two years ago. I sent him a text, and he's – I don't know if he just doesn't text or he's one of those guys. I sent him a text, and he immediately calls me back, and we had a long conversation just catching up on all the years that we've missed and stuff. But um, that guy, what he did for UCF, you know the story that – you know, became eligible. Everybody came back to recruit him, and he stuck with UCF. And then his senior year or his junior year, he could have left to the NFL, stuck with UCF because they stuck with him. So those things right there just show his character. But, again, legendary stories like the Bo Jackson type of Dante doing just one athletic thing after the other. And I had the greatest seat in the house, if you would say, because very rarely did I sit down unless Coach is talking to us on the sidelines. I always wanted to stand up to see what he did next. He had a 70-something-yard sprint up the middle against Kent State. I don't know if you guys ever seen that film, and I could send you guys the link on Instagram. But the DBs both have an angle on this guy, and it looks like they're going to catch him. And sure enough, he's so deceptively fast that they end up losing the angle and trail him as he runs into the end zone. So it's just one story after another with Dante being Dante. So you ended up doing a couple of cool things after football, after you're done at UCF. You were in a couple of movies, right? You were in The Waterboy. I saw a picture of you standing next to Henry Winkler on the yeah. sideline. And yeah, you were also yeah. in the Sunday. Yeah, we, um, so after my football career, I wasn't sure what I was going to do uh, with my life. I still wanted to play football. I signed with an agent. But my girlfriend at the time had seen a poster, a flyer, about tryouts for this new Adam Sandler movie and apparently what Hollywood does what I learned later on is they go and they get guys to do it's called second unit football stunts to do the hitting the actual hitting on the football movies or they get arena football players so I had just graduated I wasn't getting really any looks or anything from NFL guys I saw this opportunity so I jumped on board with it and then after I did the water boy I made a connection with those Hollywood folks and when they did any given Sunday down here in Miami they contacted me. We, you know, I kept in cut, touch with some of them, and they said, hey, we're doing another movie here any given Sunday. We need some football players. Why don't you come and try out? And I went to the casting. I did all that. So I had my, my short little stint in Hollywood, and uh, my wife says that I've lived like 10 different lives because I have a little chapter and everything, and that was, that was my Hollywood chapter was those two uh, football movies. Did you get any encounters with Pacino or Sandler themselves, or are you just kind of stuck in the background? Sandler – Another salt-of-the-earth type of guy. Nicest, kindest, humblest human being I've ever met. Pacino, untouchable. Everybody gets ready. They, you're ready to go, and they bring in Pacino. He says his line, gets back in the cart, and he's gone. Um, never really on set, never really hung out. I got a, a picture with him only because I begged his security guard to let me stand between him and the cart. <laughs> so that's how I got it. But everybody else, um, very down-to-earth, very cool. We, we were together with these guys for six months. You know, we're playing video games with Jamie Foxx and Bill Bellamy and, and poker and, 
just shooting the, the, the crap with them all day long because they became one of us and us one of them. So it was, it was a really cool experience. You also spent time in, in arena football too, Mike. Tell us a little bit more about your, your experience playing arena ball. How, how, for a big guy like you, how was it to adjust to sort of that faster indoor, smaller field? What was that adjustment yeah. like for you? Yeah, um, I think two years after I had graduated, I moved back. I came to Miami and I moved back to UCF and I wanted to pursue football. And I was getting back into shape and I was probably bigger than I had been at UCF. I was probably 250 around that time. And I don't know if you guys know Rick Hamilton played linebacker at UCF yeah. and then bounced through every league that you, that you could think of. So they were down two or three fullback linebackers. And he called me up and he because he seen me working out at the UCF weight room. He's like, hey, you know, they're, they're asking for two-day contracts. Why don't you come and try out? You know, they're looking for another fullback linebacker. And I went up there and I did very well on defense. Not so well on offense because I never played on the offensive side of the ball. When I say offense, I mean blocking. So um, I had a lot to learn in a short amount of time. But I was lucky enough to that Jay Gruden signed me to sign me from that two day contract for the year, and that's kind of how I ended up in arena football. And the transition was uh, incredibly difficult to adjust to because not only the speed of the game, but the offensive side of blocking, and then now going seven and a half minutes nonstop. So that was my old wrestling cardio days that I really didn't necessarily need while playing defensive end. Yeah, I was in good shape, but not wrestling arena football shape. So you guys know a little bit about it. You're playing offense, you score. Now you got to go and, you know, the extra point, then you got to kick off, then you got to run down field. Now you got to play defense and you don't get off the field for seven and a half minutes. So, um, and they have substitution rules and all that. So, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the defensive side of the ball. I hated the offensive side of the ball, but it came with the territory. So that was uh, that was a good time. I believe I, I ended up playing two years in Orlando, one year in Dallas, and then I got cut by the Detroit Fury by Tom Luganville, which is a sportscaster now. And yeah. um, on my way home, I got a call from the Las Vegas team, and I was deciding with my girlfriend at the time, like I was already looking into firefighting. Do I want to continue to pursue this? I'm getting old. You know, this is beating my body up. Where do we go from here? And I decided just to, to hang him up at that point and, and then pursue another career. Mike, you mentioned you've been obviously up to Orlando a few different times uh, since you left there. What are your thoughts on kind of what UCF's grown into? I mean, the campus is, is way different from when you, Mike, and, and I went there. Uh, what are your thoughts of what you see of UCF today when you get a chance to go back there? You know, it, first impression, it's a full, full-blown full Division One program. And that's the thing that I'm proud of the most is that when I took that tour a couple of years ago and I looked at the just the strength room and uh, when we were back there, it was Wayne Dench. It was a double-wide trailer with equipment. It was, uh, it was offices with carpet, and this is where we're back squatting and deadlifting. And it was just incredibly awkward. To, so to see this full-blown facility that we had seen and visited when we went on our trips – um, visiting the Georgia Tech locker rooms, the Auburns of the world, and, and these uh, other facilities. Now we could not only be in part of those schools, but also bring recruits. And I think that's, you know, every little step that we took getting to where we are now, I think it was a component of, you know, bringing these recruits on board and having something to show them. So um, my initial thought is, like I said earlier, obviously jealous because of all the amazing <laughs> facilities. That I remember we didn't even have an indoor facility um, we would get rained out, as you guys know. You guys still live in Orlando. It rains practice time. There you go with the rain, and here comes the lightning. So we'd have to cancel practice or move it 
inside of Wayne Dench to do walkthroughs or inside of the gym to maybe do 50% speed. So you're missing a lot of training opportunity or practice time because you just don't have the reps in. And now with the facilities that they have, it's incredibly impressive. The energy is through the roof. I just met a couple that lives out in Destin, and they said to me, our daughter is begging us to go to UCF. UCF has become the new UF. It's the new cool school to be at where all the kids want to go. And, you know, that makes me really proud that, you know, I was part of that that initial infrastructure that kind of paved the way there. But um, I just wish it looked like that when I was there. <laughs> so you're obviously a big UCF fan. Now living back in Miami, you – Take the chance. Now, UCF has been pretty good these last few years. Do you talk a lot of trash down here as a UCF fan to your Miami friends? Yeah, so so I'm kind of – they call me wishy-washy down here because I grew up a Hurricane fan. So the Hurricanes will always be near and dear to my heart, but I'm a UCF alumni, alumni and obviously an ex-athlete for them. So I'm. it just depends on who's playing and where I'm at. Now, if UCF plays UM like they did years ago, I'm a, I'm a UCF guy through and through. But – I do talk a lot of trash. I do think that what helped me out was I saw the banner in one of the national championship banner. So I, like every other UCF fans, call, call them the national champs, and I still say it to this day. And I have people telling me to shut up, and I say, look, the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, Look who we beat in order to get there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I keep up with UCF as much as I possibly can. I wish that I could be up there a lot more. I, I keep in touch with Mike Palmer a lot, and Mike connects me with a lot of the folks that are up there. Um, you know, life happens, you have kids, you have careers, you have businesses that you're trying to do. And before you know it, 20 years goes by and you've only been up there four times. So um, I do the best that I can to keep up with those guys and I'll always be supportive of my team. I think you stunned Mike with that answer, Mike. But uh, yeah. you're, you're also in your spare time. I know you uh, you do some personal training, you do some uh, some coaching. I know you're, you're heavy into the, uh, the fitness industry. You've got a, a little... Um, I'm going to call it a, a special going on right now, but you got something you're doing kind of cool uh, to, to sort of uh, give back a little bit and, uh, and help some folks get in shape. Can you tell us more about what you're doing now with your new program and, uh, and how people get, get in, uh, in touch with that? Yeah. So um, I've owned a CrossFit gym now for about 12 years and um, I do personal training on the side. I do a little bit of nutrition coaching and I'm trying to, I'm recognizing that guys my age, I'm 47 now, um, that I see on Facebook, Instagram, and they run into. I'm still very close with my high school teammates. We see each other once a year. And they don't look so good. They don't look so hot. Why? Because, you know, we, we've been pursuing careers. We've been raising kids. And, you know, that takes a toll on us. And when you got to prioritize, you know, making money, feeding the family, or, you know, keeping your six-pack, you're always going to pick, you know, for the most part, you know, raising your kids and taking care of your family. But you could do both. And there's a possibility to do both. And I think that when we were – you know, growing up, there was no information. There was no YouTube. There was no Google. None of that was available. And then now there's so much information that there's misinformation out there when it comes to exercise and nutrition. So what I've developed is a, it's called Neversoft Training Camp. And I'm mimicking kind of what we went through in football camp at a lesser degree to teach these guys over five weeks of what it is to stay in shape yet live a happy, balanced life. So it's not one of these um, rigid, restrictive diets. You don't have to power clean 225 pounds. It's just what's the minimum effective dose where we could get you to a healthy body weight where you're proud of and live longer, 
and still happy. So that's what the Neversoft Training Camp is about. I have a few people on board, and most of those people I mentioned earlier come from Facebook, are in their mid-40s, know that I have a history with physical fitness, and I do the best I can to stay in shape, uh, both you know, firefighting-wise, career-wise, because it's needed, but also because I'm a gym owner, and you know, it's my livelihood, and it's my passion. So staying active is what's important to me, and getting people now involved is also important to me. I also just um, collaborated with the city of Miami now that we're going to be giving back and doing a, a free workouts for uh, inner city children that don't have access to uh, a, a fitness trainer, a fitness coach, because this thing's expensive. I know. I charge the money. So <laughs> these kids that don't have the availability to go out there and hire a coach or nutrition coaching or a dietitian and stuff, we're ready to give back to these folks. So we're going to be doing weekend workouts. We're going to be handing them flyers. Here's your homework for the weekend is two or three workouts and come back to me and stuff. So a lot of cool things happening on that end, and that's that's my passion. I, I mean, I, I, I'd do that stuff for free if I could. Where can people find out more about the Neversoft training program if they want to look into it? So the easiest way is through my Instagram. I do I use that as a, like a broadcast channel. So it's uh, uh, it's at Mike.Osuna. And I have the link on the Neversoft program. If you go to my bio, you click on the link, and it's very detailed on there. A lot of folks say it's intimidating. It's really not. I had my first uh, interview today. It starts in September, but I'm starting to onboard people already. Um She's about 100 pounds overweight, and after walking in there, she gave me a hug, and she's like, I'm so ready to take this on. And that that alone is, is, is worth itself in gold, you know. So if I could help her out and help the other 14 participants, I'm excited to do so. You said it's like football camp. You're not going to drive to my house and hit me like Dante, are you? <laughs> no. And this is the problem with the messaging. Okay. Make, I just want to make sure. Just make it's sure. incredibly intimidating. I'm, I, I got to call Dante and see if he even remembers that. I have the film. And then the looks like the cameraman gets so wrapped up in the moment that as he goes to follow it, he stumps off so you miss the hit. I wish I had that hit. It would be all over my Instagram. Uh, yeah, we got to get the story from Dante. He might have a whole different story here. Yeah, I gotta, I'll, I'll shoot him a text and see if he remembers the story, and I'll get back to you guys. <laughs> so I can – what do you mention right now, first of all? Um, and what do you do next? My, I got a bum shoulder, so I don't really bench that much anymore. I do mostly like dumbbell presses. Uh, my thing is squatting, so I'm a squatter. I, l I love squatting. You, you can never tell with my chicken legs. They just don't develop the way that I want to. But I'm still – I'm 47. I'm still squatting in the 400s, so I'm, I'm happy about that. You know? And when you're giving Dante a run for the – because we've heard legendary stories of Dante in the weight room back at UCF too. Were, were yeah. you battling with him back then too? So – if I remember correctly, Dante never worked out with us. And the reason he wasn't allowed to work out is because he would just pack on muscle. So imagine a six, four and a half guy, 260 pounds of all muscle. And his, you know, I don't, I don't want to cuss on here, but his glutes, his butt was ginormous. And the glutes are the most powerful part of your body. Hamstrings, thighs, he's just a, a huge human being. So. What I heard, what the rumor was, is that they would send him to the engineering department to work on some contraption that helped with his mobility, but really hindered his muscle development. That guy could have been any position that he wanted to, really, with his size and strength and speed. But we never went out in the weight room. We did sprint a couple of times, um, and I'm going to put it on the record here. I beat him every single time. Hmm. Uh, there's no video of that either, I'm sure. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> well you were you were stronger than dante but could you uh could you out curl coach kruzek 
No. So Coach Kruzik, especially now, being at the age that he was when I was there, 47, he's my hero. That With his small little short shorts, his amazing tan, his six-pack, I mean, that guy – Absolute legend. I love Coach Kruzik. Yeah, man. He's, he, I, I, I still aspire to look like what he did back then. I forget who we had on the show. It was somebody who had on the show said that, that he was in the weight room one morning and you know, we're just on like the, the outside in the lobby and just heard just weights like banging on the ground and banging on the ground. And it's like 5 a.m. And he was thinking, man, like one of our teammates got in there before me and he goes into the gym and it's Kruzak just like hang cleaning, like, like 325, like we're just right there off the rack. And, and he's like, I've never seen a coach do anything like that before. He, he was an absolute monster. And you know what's a little bit of a shame? And I guess I don't know if it was us being wrapped up into our own worlds and stuff, but I didn't I don't think I valued Coach Kruzak for what he really was when I was with him. You know, you know, offensive guy. So he really didn't speak that much and hang out that much we, he did throw some jabs at me now and then because if you know i was getting too close to his boy but <laughs> when when I, you look back at coach kruzik's career with the steelers and what he did in college and stuff the guy's a legend you know he really is and how he held up and what he did with our offense and, and the the weapons that he got and the people that he recruited like Sia birdie so coach kruzik nothing but respect for the guy and and, and all love and it's like, man, I wish that I would have been a little bit mature enough back then to really appreciate what these guys were giving back to us. You know, I was a little bit of a rebel. I was a knucklehead, as as you heard earlier with my with my fights and stuff. I'm a totally different person now, and I'm trying to be that that mentor now for my for my children. That you know, my father didn't really understand football; and wasn't a part of it back then. So, um, I just wish that at that point I recognized like th- I have so much value with these guys right here. Let me just you know, absorb as much as I possibly can and pick their brains. And, you know, you look back and like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty, and it is what it is. And those guys have, you know, nothing but my respect now. All right, Mike. So we end every interview around here with a, a kind of a rapid fire question segment. We'll ask you anything about music, movies, sports, oh food. You, you never know what you're going to get. So are you prepared to fa- You thought the questions before were tough. You didn't say nothing yet. Are you ready for these, these hard hitting questions? Let's do it. I hope I don't embarrass myself. All right, take us back, 95, 96, 97, Mike Osuna hanging out in Orlando. It's a Friday night. You and the fellows want to go someplace fun. Where were you going? Where was your hangout spot back in those days? Night out pub. Okay, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Mike, you believe in aliens. Do I believe in aliens? Yeah. No. Just because it's rapid fire, I'm going to say no, I do not. <laughs> if you have to call one of your current or former teammates right now, and uh, you want that person to make you laugh. Who do you call right now if you want them to make you laugh? <sighs> UCF or pro? Let's go UCF. UCF, uh, Mike Pons. Wow. What, is, what, is, what does Mike do that's funny, if I, if I can ask? So, uh, Mike is incredibly intelligent. He has a very dry humor, and his one-liners are right on point. All right, you don't look like you allow yourself too many cheat days. But if you do, do you have a, a favorite dessert that you go to? I'm not a dessert guy, but I just got introduced to uh, – actually, I'm lying. I'm going to tell you exactly what I would go to. The chocolate chip ice cream cookies from Disney World on Main Street on the right-hand side. I don't know the name of it, but it's whenever I go to Disney World, that's how I reward myself for paying all that money. I get one on the way in, and then I get one on the way out. Right. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Wow. Um, 
I would want to teleport. Would you go back in time or forward in time? No, I, more geographical. I would go location okay. to location. Okay. Save me a lot of time. Fair enough. Where's the, where's right, the first spot you want to go? I would go to Argentina, to my father's okay. birthplace, and meet all my family over there that I've never met. Nice. You've probably seen a lot of crazy things at the gym, guys doing. I've seen videos of guys doing all kinds of things that I don't know what the heck they're thinking. What's the craziest thing you've seen somebody try to do at the gym? Um, I think now with the advent of TikTok, it's really pushed these folks to a whole other level. And I don't know <laughs> if you've seen um, these people that do these pull-ups and dips with couches and stuff wrapped around their belt. Yes, um, I have seen that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there, I, I ran into, I spotted a guy at UFIT attempting to do that with another bench, and it was completely unsuccessful. It was almost embarrassing. All right, Mike, you want a CrossFit uh, box so you can answer this question for me. Kipping pull-up. Real pull-up or no? <sighs> okay. So it depends if it's a sport or if it's actually for muscular development. So okay. a kipping pull-up is a real pull-up. Sure. If it, depending on the sport. So for CrossFit, we call it a real pull-up because you're trying to maximize the time spent. So if you can knock out 12 in less than 30 seconds, why do that? Why not do that? than do an actual strict pull-up. But I will say this to the people that hate on CrossFit. CrossFitters could do kipping pull-ups and pull-ups. They think that we can't do pull-ups. We could do both. All right. You don't look like you're scared of much, but do you, what's your biggest fear? Do you have any? <sighs> My biggest fear. Okay, so I'm not going to be cliche and say failure and all this stuff. I'm going to give you an honest answer supposedly outside of our firehouse is a bobcat. Mm. And when we go to take out the trash at night, we could hear that sucker somewhere around there. So right now, currently speaking, my fear is of a bobcat. That's a good, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> sounds like you had a chance to hit a lot of your teammates when you were at UCF, uh, both in practice, maybe after the whistle, who cares, right? Who's one teammate you never got a chance to hit that you really wish you could have? <sighs> okay, well, I, I got to bring up Dante. Only because I saw so many people hit him and fail at bringing him down that I was always curious if how much of a blow I could impact him during an actual game, not the blindside shot that I took during practice, but during an actual game, if I could make an impact and knock down this 260-pound beast. Fair enough. All right. If you could be an animal, what animal would you be? A bear. I was sure you're going to say a bobcat on that one. That would have been, <laughs> that would have been a, a perfect symmetry, uh, Mike. Look, we appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight and tell your story and, and talk a little bit about you know, your experience at UCF. Again, I think a lot of folks probably haven't heard your story before and and uh, you know maybe didn't get a chance to, to know your career. But we're definitely glad you had a chance to join us here and, and educate us a little bit. And uh, get, got any plans to get to Orlando this season? Any chance you're you're going to make it up for a game? Yeah, I was just texting uh, Palmer right now, and I told him Palmer, I can't get my hands even with my little connections i can't get my hands on homecoming tickets he's like dude come up here talk to some of the boys come into the tent we'll figure it out we'll get you in there it's not a big deal so i'm looking to get up there for the uh homecoming which i believe is cincinnati this year correct that's correct yeah. so, yeah. uh, that's gonna be yeah, a big one yeah so, so that's what i'm well, looking to do even if i just end up tailgating and not making it into the game it is what it is i just want to see the boys well, UCF is going down to FAU in your in your in your neck of the woods there as well too. So that's another yeah. opportunity. Uh, we'll have a, a big tailgate set up down there for uh, for folks too. So we definitely love to see you down at FAU. Absolutely, I'll be there.
Awesome, Mike. We appreciate your time, man. Be well. Go Knights. Thank you guys so much. Go Knights. Okay, sons of UCF, both of you, you are the father. All right, my cow of the week time. Again, every uh, every week to do this. This time, though, with a sponsor now, Cow of the Week, brought to you by our good friends at Poor Choice. My Poor Choice, obviously, is a craft beer bar owned by some UCF alums, including our good friend Drew Bellani, uh, located in the Mills 50 district. It's a good place to go if you want a nice cold beer. they got a bunch of stuff on draft. 1225 North Mills Avenue, where you can find Poor Choice. Uh, and keep tabs on that account, Mike. I think there's some talk of some some stuff going down at Poor Choice this year. I don't want to reveal too much. I know Drew and the fellows are cooking something up, but you know some of those away games, you can't quite get out to uh, maybe to, to, to travel. Maybe Poor Choice will be an option for you. I don't know. So keep that in mind. But again, visit them at Poor Choice, the Mills 50 District, Mike. Uh, what, and a Poor Choice is to be a cow, unfortunately. And that's why Cow of the Week comes up, Mike. So who do you have uh, in your Cow of the Week this week? I told you guys, well, maybe it was last week or the week before, I'm trying to make the cows the cows every week. Mm-hmm. Is this their final year here as Cow of the Week? And maybe this whole segment just turns into Poor Choice of the Week. I don't know. Once we get rid of them, we're not playing them anymore next year. But the cows, they always find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And this week, they finally got it done. Or is it even done? I don't even think it's done yet. But they're they're dancing in the end zone like it's done. Their indoor practice facility um, is getting built. They're not practicing in it yet, I don't think. Right? Yeah. I've seen pictures of the outside. But, yeah, they're, yes. they're, they're, they're dancing and they're celebrating and they're talking about how much better it is than our practice facility. And their beat writer, Joey Knight, uh, he, he goes out on Twitter. He says, you know, I don't want to hear about square footage and dimensions and all that, but this practice facility looks a lot more imposing than the one at UCF. Now mm-hmm. it, he's even saying in that it could very well be the same size. I don't want to, I don't want to hear about square footage and, and, and size, but this one looks bigger just from the eye test, he says. And, you know, I, I think we can go back to Allen Iverson said it best that we talking about practice facilities mm-hmm. we yeah. talk about practice not a game not a game we're talking about practice facilities and uh, these guys i mean <laughs> they're, they're they're comparing a building built in 2022 to a building that was built what in 2004 2005 i hope it's better i hope it looks nicer i hope it has a little more newness to it it's freaking 17 years uh, newer so um, you know, the cows are going to cow. They finally got something done. They're way behind times. And they, they've got a practice facility that looks imposing to Joey Knight, at least. So uh, if, if that's what they're, they're, they're excited about, good for them. You know, another team that was dancing all over the Internet today, too, our friends down here in Miami, the Hurricanes. Ah, yes. With their new uh, – uh, what was it, the locker room, right? It looks Dwayne, uh, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, I guess, paid for or sponsored this locker room. Yeah, everybody kind of said, it looks like they're inside a spirit airplane. Uh, yes. not, not as impressed as I guess they were. But, uh, you know, everybody's trying to play catch-up here in the facility game. The cows finally are getting something done. Although, you know, I don't I hate to break it to them, but practice has already started. For this season, right, and the season's going to be a couple of weeks away. Is this thing even going to be done 
while this season's going on? Uh, are they celebrating too early? Are they even going to get to be able to use this thing in the 2022 season? I don't know. Because, you know, once the building is up, fine. But you got to get stuff done inside, too. So let's yes. see. Maybe they'll, they'll have it ready by the time we play them in a, in a couple months. Yeah, I just... The, the cows are just. Has there been a more optimistic group of of humans on Earth? If there have been humans, anytime something even remotely positive comes their way, they are like all over it. Like they, they, this is it. They're 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 dancing in the streets. Even if it's something someone's done for like decades before them, they are just the the most grab on a morsel of positivity and try to run with it. They thought they were going to the AAC or the ACC rather. I saw um, uh, a tweet. It was um, man, I think it was John Hollinger. And uh, and it was something to do with um, the Big Ten, and he put South Florida to the Big Ten because it said something about bulls, and literal South Florida fans thought that that meant that they actually were going to go to the Big Ten uh, because that's how desperate they are for good news. You almost feel bad at that point, no? Like they got a practice facility, like it's kind of where they like, hey, we're gonna have the best the best damn practice facility out there. I mean, I guess it's in some eyes that's probably a good thing to have, but that's. That's that's their thing, like that, that's that's where they're at. Baby steps, I guess. I mean, at least when our guys go to the practice facility, they can see the stadium that's right there. So these guys are practicing here, I and mean, they still got to drive to uh, the Buccaneer Stadium to go actually play the game. What um, I, I don't know. By this time next year, well, we're not. They're not going to be on the schedule anymore. We're not going to really have to hear about them anymore. Uh, they're just going to be an afterthought to us. But, hey, they'll have a nicer practice facility or at least a newer one or a more imposing one, according to Joey Knight. Yeah, I mean, good for them. The facilities have been lacking forever, and I guess they can, you know, that could be their first trophy in the trophy case, Mike, the best practice facility in all of the state of Florida. Maybe that could be their their, their first banner. Are we willing to give them, give them that one maybe? Um, I don't know. I think Florida probably just built one that was probably, uh, probably nicer. I, I just saw the Miami one. The Miami one, <laughs> what is this? A practice facility for ants? It's like half the size of an actual field. Where, where they yeah, they don't even have the full yardage. I think it's only an 80-yard field. Like, there's no, like, 50-yard line. Oh, I think it goes yeah. 30, 40, 30. Like, they don't even have a full field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even think it's 80 yards. Yeah, I think it's like 70, 65, 70 yards, whatever it is. Um, that, that's got to be weird to practice on it. But, you know, you throw a 40-yard pass and you're in the end zone? I, I don't know. So... The whole thing, really, what does it mean? Uh, are, are recruits going somewhere because of the practice facility, because of the indoor practice facility? Um, I, I hope not. I hope they, that's probably got to be like number six on the list after, you know, winning a place you can go win, you know, this, the, the coach, the, the actual campus, the lifestyle, the city you're in, all that stuff's got to be way above practice facilities. I think that's got to be kind of, you know, on the back burner as a recruit, I would think, I would hope. Are you going to miss the cows? Mm, I'm not going to miss them, but it's fun to pound on them a little bit. Those four years of them beating us, when I mean, the first four times we played, that really, you know, that didn't sit well with me. <laughs> yeah. it, it, was a, it was a rough time to be a UCF fan, to be honest. I mean, 2007 at the time was probably our best season, and they beat the crap out of us that year, and then you know, the, all four of those games were rough in their own way. The 2008 game, we tie it to go to overtime, and they still beat us because uh, they stop us on a fourth down. Uh, th those are rough games. So I'm enjoying every minute of beating them here these last five years and 
one more time before we get out of here. And no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss him. But it, it is a little fun to have somebody to pick on all the time. And I'd love to pick on the Gators from now on after this, or or Miami. All right, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Uh, so my cow of the week, Mike. I'm gonna stay close to home on this one. Uh, my f- uh, cow of the week is the uh, Florida Elite Soccer Academy, which is uh, the the league that my daughter plays in. Because here we are, Mike, August eighth. And we don't have a really good firm set schedule here for the next couple of months. We're not quite sure when the tournaments are. Maybe this weekend here. Maybe that weekend here. I need some concrete answers here. I need to know that this is the day we have a tournament game. This is the date we don't. Here's where the games are at. Here's the times. We're playing it really loose right now. A keep this weekend in, uh, open. A maybe this weekend. We may have a Sunday game here. I need some particulars, my man. This is this is prime planning time. I need to know what games I can get to. I need to understand where, you know, hotel, no hotel. I need to figure some stuff out, Mike. And the, the Florida Elite Soccer Academy just not helping me out here with a lot of this, you know, hey, we're not so sure about the scheduling, Mike. How do I complain about this as a parent? What do I do? I call somebody? What do I how do I get my information here? Yeah, you got to figure out who's in charge of scheduling. First okay. question, are you a college football fan? Because if you are, what, I'm a, my daughter's coach, I'm afraid of her. She's a uh, canine police officer. I'm scared shitless of her. <laughs> well, she's the one making the schedule. I have no idea, but I'm not going to ask her. <laughs> yeah, go yeah, over her head. Yeah, make sure she doesn't know that you said it. Go anything. over her head. Yeah, go to the league commissioner, whoever's in charge <laughs> of writing up the schedule. You know, as just an anonymous, you know, concerned parent, mm. and, and figure yeah. out what's going on here because yeah, this is very important stuff. I, I'm kind of being in the same situation too. I don't even have my Llama Corns roster yet, let alone know when the games are. The, mm. the schedule is not going to be released. No roster for Mike. He froze, and I'll never know. But no, uh, no roster. There's a lot of planning. Oh, there's a lot, okay. of a lot of planning that has to be done. And yeah, I'm with you on this one. Uh, I'm not sure which weeks. You know, they're going to throw a monkey wrench at me and say, "Oh, you got a game here at this time," uh, and I was planning to go to the Cincinnati game or something like that. So. I'd like to know ahead of time too. Yeah, I need to get that worked out. I'm not sure how how to figure that out. Um, uh, th- there's talk of a game in South Florida the week after we're going to play FAU, so I have to go to South Florida two weekends in a row. Spoiler alert: I'm not going to do that. So we may have to skip those tournaments and that and that's out. Like playing on like Homestead or something, which is nowhere near. It's, it's far from you, little <laughs> yeah. far from me at this point. So uh, I, I'm going to need them to get this soccer uh, schedule stuff figured out because w- without it, uh, it's tough. As as a parent, you want to do the right thing for your kids. Uh, Mike has disappeared from the show at this point, so he may never hear part of this. But I know if you have kids out there, you all can understand what we're going through here. You want to go to the games as much as you can. You want to see as much as you can, but it's sometimes hard for uh, for anyone to figure that out. So we will uh, we'll see how that all works out. But what has worked out in some form or fashion is episode 191 of the Suns UCF. We are. We are primed to wrap this thing up, partly because Mike has disappeared from the show. And so it's just me to close you out here. But first off, big thanks to everybody for listening, for following along. Um, it's crazy to think we are approaching year five of covering the, the football seasons, at least. Uh, we're close to 200 shows. Uh, we've got a lot of things that we've done over the years. Uh, we couldn't have done it without all of your support out there. I know Mike, who is back now, appreciates everything we've we've gone through in five years. Mike, it's crazy to think through. We are starting our fifth football season. Yeah, that's a little weird, right? And, you know, it's evolved over time, which is cool. We've done a million different segments, which have been fun. Um, but it all, it all started <laughs> with week one. 
um, we were looking forward to kicking off a football season. That's the best time of year. And for all the other stuff we do, you know, we talk basketball, we talk baseball, we talk all the other sports. We do a lot of different interviews in the offseason. But this is our bread and butter football season's back for the fifth season now. Uh, and if you told me that we were going to do this for this long at the beginning, I never would have believed it. And here we are, episode 191, getting ready for, for kickoff here in a couple weeks. Uh, it's been fun ride, man. Been a, it's been a, it's been a journey, my friend. Uh, you are not. I will be at Fan Fest this Saturday, Mike. I may, I may have some shirts with me. Oh boy, we got some Suns UCF swag. I don't know if UCF wants us handing that out, but I may have some uh, that I'll, I'll put as contraband in a backpack. I'll have with me, so may have some shirts that I can I can hand out. I'm sure maybe before or after I'll be floating around the old Burger U spot there, Mike. So maybe a couple of shirts will uh will infiltrate their way out there in the community. So uh, be in the lookout for that. Find me at FanFest and uh, make me laugh. I guess you'll get a shirt. Maybe that's all I got to do. And you still have a box of like 800 of those flyers from last year, right? You get the kids to go put some on some cars again? Yeah. Yeah, I got 700 or so of those. Maybe I can, I can effort <laughs> to, to have those around as well. We've got a couple of hats laying around here still, Mike. I got... I'm going to send another hat out to a guy this week, and I got like three or four hats left. The Citronaut variety, I think, will be the uh, the final uh, the final few hats left. So we'll see if we can also offload the hats again. I don't know. Send me a tweet. Make us laugh. Maybe we'll send you a hat. You never know. I actually have a couple of hats left myself, the original ones. Now, oh, I, still no. owe, I still owe the guy that <laughs> won the contest last year, the uh, the picks. Uh, do we still have that <laughs> that hoodie? That uh, I should. Open- I still have that box in here. I should still have that hoodie, yeah. We owe that guy. that guy his stuff, Mike. <laughs> you have the hoodie. Does he you have roll the hoodie? Over to, maybe he wants to roll it over in this year, like double or nothing or something. Double maybe you owe him like two hoodies. Maybe he wants to trade. Maybe he doesn't want the hoodie. We can give him one of these other shirts. Maybe he thinks those are cooler. We got to get in contact with this guy. I forget his name, but he does. He, he messaged me. I have uh, it. SBJ, isn't it? SBJ forty three or something like that. It was definitely initials with the numbers. I don't know what the initials. Okay, all right, initials. With numbers. <laughs> Mike is Mike is on our shipping and receiving department is on top of it as <laughs> always. But no, look, a lot of fun stuff. We'll do some more stuff on the YouTube uh, channel. Obviously, uh, live shows will be coming up here. Uh, looking forward to getting more involved with the ten twelve network and all the all the different Big Twelve shows. Obviously, we're not there just yet, but we'll keep tabs on all uh, all those folks as well throughout the year. Mike, it'll be a good ride. Make sure you subscribe to whatever it is you subscribe to things, and uh, and we'll keep you entertained. And don't forget Thursday. I have no idea who's on the show, Mike, this Thursday. Uh, I think you and I and Trace are doing some podcast appearances this week too. I think Trace is on a show somewhere in Bavard County, maybe coming out Thursday. I think the three of us are going to be on a on a competing podcast this week, Mike. I know I don't want to give too much away. I know a show you're excited about. Uh, I think the Knights Roundtable uh, is coming up again soon. I think I got booked for that. So we'll be we'll be everywhere. You'll be sick of us soon enough. Yeah, they're not sick of us already. But, yeah, I'm sure they are. Uh, you know, some people can't get enough of us either. And, and those are the people that we do this for. Uh, and it's been fun to see the, the fans' feedback here. I get a lot of reactions on some of the things I post on Twitter. You get a lot of reactions on stuff. And it's cool to go on different shows, too, and spread the word about what we've been doing here for these last five years. Yeah. Well, once we figure that out, we will share with all of you. But again, Thursday live show, follow, subscribe, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you do all that good stuff. Make sure you subscribe to the pod feed as well. And uh, we will talk to everybody this uh, Thursday night. Everybody take care of yourselves. Uh, Be well, behave, and uh, go Knights. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network.
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.